Ready? So welcome back to the Diaries of the Wild Ones. So once again, I'm off on another adventure. So I'll be going off grid for a while, but don't worry, I'll be getting lots of content and I've got lots of episodes booked in for when I get back. So this trip I'm about to do, I've wanted to do it for a while. I've always had this idea that you could travel all around the world just by trading and hitchhiking on yachts. And I thought I'll just give this a little go, just, just to trial it out. So I'm going to start with the east coast of Queensland. So I've put out the word with the local yachty community, I've put some ads on Facebook, and I've put some signs up in some local marinas, and I've got myself a lift. So I'm hitchhiking and I'm gonna get dropped off on some remote islands off Queensland, and I'm just gonna live off the islands. So as always, Wild Earth Australia has completely kitted me out with everything that I need to live on these islands. All the gear and no idea. I'm just so excited to give this a go. So I'm taking some camera gear this time. So I'm going to try and attempt to film it. Now I've never filmed, but what else am I going to do on an island? <laughs> so I'm going to try film this for a little Diaries of the Wild Ones YouTube series. So let's see how I go. Everyone that I get a lift with or the people that I meet along the way, I'm going to interview because yachties always have the most amazing stories. So once again, I'm just going to let the experience take me traveling and just fully allow myself to let go and just have an amazing time. I just can't wait to be so grounded and connected to nature. So once again, a huge thank you to Wild Earth Australia for supporting me and the adventurous lifestyle. Now, if you guys need anything for your next adventure, Go to wildearth.com.au and put in the 10% discount code Diaries of the Wild Ones, all one word, capital letters. Now, exciting news, guys. I've been asked to join the team at Pure Scott Australia, Australia's very own Scotch whiskey company. They are committed to protecting the natural environment and reducing its impact. They are partnering with environmental foundations such as Citizens of the Great Barrier Reef and Greening Australia. Now, my heroes are aligned with this company. Glenn Casey, Australia Patagonia's founder. He's with these guys. David Rastovich, he's aligned with these guys, my childhood hero. And so I'm just so honored to, to be asked to join their team. So you can check them out at purescott.com or you can buy their products at Dan Murphy's. Now, once again, a big thank you to Free Brewing Co. Organic Preservative Free Beer. You can find them at Dan Murphy's or BWS. And also a huge thank you to my CBD oil sponsor, Get Well Soon Australia. What's good for the earth is good for you. Go to getwellsoonaustralia.com.au and put in the 10% discount code WILDONES, all one word, capital letters. Now, due to current legislation Australia, we have to say it's for topical use only. <coughs> oh, sorry, I must have had something in my throat there. Yeah, 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 topical use only. Okay, now this episode right here is exactly why I do this podcast. Now, I know I say this a lot, but after I recorded this episode, I was just so, so proud and I felt so lucky and honored that this podcast gets me to meet people like this. You know, I was so freaking inspired by this guy, a guy that lives by his truth, a guy that lives by his heart. Now, you're about to meet the lead singer of In Heart's Wake, Jake Taylor. Now, Jake Taylor, even though he's the lead singer of In Heart's Wake, the guy is also 
a survivalist. This guy is so connected to the natural world and connected to his heart and sole purpose of trying to protect it. Now, after this episode, I ended up getting so deep in his band and I am so, I freaking love them so much now. It's not the type of music I'd normally listen to, but once you freaking start listening to it and you get engulfed in that energy, I really know what he talks about um, in this episode. I could really relate to it now after listening to his music. I freaking love these guys and what they stand for and I love this episode and I think you're really going to like it too. Now guys, if you like it, please share the hell out of this one because this is I'm just so proud of this episode that I really, really want to spread it and get it out there. Thanks so much, Jake, for meeting up with me. Thanks, Jake, for becoming a brother of mine. Fucking love you, dude. And um, you guys, the listeners, thanks heaps. Enjoy. Okay, you ready? I'm born ready, baby. Okay, Jake Taylor. Jake Taylor, I've... dude, this actually has taken way too long to get you here because I've been begging, <laughs> nearly begging. I'm like, dude, we need it. We need to do this podcast. For so many layers, because there's so many layers about you, and I know you've done so many interviews, but the thing is, what sets you aside, okay, let's, I suppose Inner Heart's Wake is where we start, so you are the lead singer, you're literally the lead singer of this, of like a band that I actually love, so it's like a hardcore band that you guys sing about the environment, and I met you in your element doing this, have like this love the same love that I have for connection to nature and survival, like like actually being out raw in nature. And so it's like, I find it so funny, the contrast with like, and getting to know you, it makes sense. But like the contrast of like this pinup, kind of like, uh, I'm going to call you a pinup boy just for this, for this kind of like um, pinup, like lead front man of a band kind of thing. Do you get what I mean? Like, like when you look at your album covers, you know, you got the long hair, you know, you, you fit the part of being the lead singer of a band, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you like you fit that that kind of stereotype. But then next thing you're out in the wilderness starting a fire with your hands and like learning about nature and learning how to survive out there. And like the two things I suppose don't normally go together until until you actually meet you and and, and, and also hear your story. But I'm like, I need to sit down with this dude. And first of all, I've got so many questions about like, you know, being in a band and, and touring and everything that you do. But like, I just want to know so much about you wanting to, to learn survival skills. But I'm, I'm going to start there. I'm going to start there. So your band, In Hearts Wake, how would you describe it's one, So it's from Byron Bay. It's a hardcore band. It's huge. Like, I know it's huge because Spotify has a lot of listens on it. <laughs> and my favorite song is Refuge. But what is In Hearts Wake? Like how would you how do you describe your band for people that don't know In Hearts Wake? It's a good question. How do I describe In Hearts Wake? In Hearts Wake uh, was originally like a band formed by five like best mates. Literally, the other members live within like a two hundred meter throw from here when we were kids. Three of the members did. We all went to school together, played in the same sports teams. We're all going to hardcore shows that were happening in Byron Bay when we were like 13, 12, 13, 14. Yeah. And so we formed a band together just because we loved music. We loved the energy. We loved being a part of an underground community that had a lot to, to say. And emitting that energy was like this expression that uh, didn't conform with the status quo. Yeah. And so originally what started out as a band that just wanted to get together, play music and express that energy and, and were willing to do whatever it took to play. Then as we started to grow and see the world, 
and get to live that dream of playing in, you know, whether it's Jakarta or it's playing, you know, as far north as like Calgary in, um, in, in Canada. North, yeah, in Canada or geez, like as far as Aberdeen in UK, you know, up northern Scotland. We're playing these crazy places and we're starting to realize the, uh, the disconnect between the two worlds, uh, like, first of all, coming from a beautiful place such as the Northern Rivers, which we live here in the Byron Shire, that uh, having that thing that's out in our backyard, whether it's surfing or it's just playing out in nature, national parks, blah, blah, blah. When you start to play in all these cities, that whilst it sounds kind of romantic, the idea of doing that, you're in a tour bus, you're on a plane, you're waiting in a terminal, you're waiting in a backstage room that's covered in graffiti and like, you know, you're there to play. Yeah. But the two worlds start to become so clear that the balance of the natural world slips away. And so this mentality and this, uh, this love as in heart's wake, that whole, hang on a second, we need to be like standing up and, and really protecting the thing that actually keeps us whole. Yeah. Like, so like, as in like the, the heart of the band, like what inspired the band, like what inspires you guys, you mean like, like say your values mm. is like, you weren't seeing the connection being passed on when you're playing in those cities so like are you, are you more saying like through that you saw this disconnect and like so would you say you became like a mission of yours to try and like s- spread connection um uh basically you start to realize what why would i get up at three in the morning like to like you know, here's an analogy you don't get up at three in the morning to climb a mountain unless you like want to climb that mountain there's a commitment yeah. there's that purpose why are we climbing these mountains, doing things in ridiculous places around the world? A, because we love music and we love being together, but it's for something much bigger than ourselves, which became part of the heart, part of the mission. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, like that stuff gets really tiring. And so you start to ask, why am I doing this? And if we have an opportunity to write a song or an album, like it's got to be about something we're passionate about. That can be for some people relationships or just angst or, you know, there's many different reasons for different people, but to us, to me as the lyricist, main lyricist as well, it was like standing up for the things that are so integral to keeping balance in life, for health, for planetary yeah. health, for future generations. So that's, that became the natural evolution of In Heart's Wake and going back to uh, that energy of um, expression of what people call angry music, but an expression of not conforming to the status quo. That yeah. is going, hang on a second, like, you know, there's the stuff that's out there in mainstream culture isn't acknowledging the shit that's happening that we need for all of this to, to exist and to thrive. So that was our like way of, of being, being a voice, being a voice, rallying the, the system against the system and saying this, this can be better. And did you find a domino effect in doing that? Were you like, do you get like messages say from fans, like that get that message that you put out? Totally. And understand that message. Oh, totally. We've got some incredible, incredible, like not your average hardcore fan either which is awesome. Like you think hardcore metal, you're going to have like, you know, stereotype, head to toe in tattoos, stretched ears, uh, you know, some people will say dreads or black hair, you know, there's a stereotype and that's not at all what's happening. Like there is people who come and turning up in, uh, I don't want to stereotype again here, but let's just say like different attire. (laughs) People who are into like permaculture, people who are like, you know, rapping Sea Shepherd, um, environmentalists that, that would normally listen to this music, for instance, finding these inroads and realizing, wow, this is actually a huge voice and I feel the the energy of the of that voice and of yeah. that vibration and we're a part of that. And so I've really seen the, the our community evolve to be very diverse. Yeah. Yeah. 
I yeah, like that. I I've said it to you a hundred times, but Refuge is just my favorite song. I like listen to it on repeat. Like when I when I try and get amped up because it like it ha- and I'm like not a hardcore fan at all. So that's how I relate to that. Like you know, I, I listen to a lot of folk and blues and like really slow stuff. So then hardcore, it's hard for me to um, relate to. But then like mm. yeah, I, I, there's a couple of songs that you guys have because you've also got such good diversity. You know what I mean by having that singing as well, kind of thing. So it like kind of amps you up, and then it like I don't know, it makes you feel connected to it when the singing comes in. It's just yeah, ebb and flows. We love to touch on bittersweet that vibe as well because like in life like life to me like is bittersweet like there's so many beautiful epic moments but it's not it's not without the sometimes the loss the grief the rage uh you know as much as it's about the love and the beauty so where you can have that like dance between the light and the dark yeah rather than just all one note or all sugarcoating things like it's all good you know that serves a purpose for some people yeah. for us it's like no nah, like we got to have these highs hills and mountains and valleys we need to have that this this thing going on this question like the answer is going to be you know probably i'm expecting it probably to be cliche but cliches are real but like throughout your albums you know has that told a different story throughout your own spiritual awakening your your own evolution as a human or as a band or as people you know like like your message like what's the band's original message um i think the i know the environmental aspect like for the planet environmental when did it become like a, a term it's just be <laughs> yeah it's almost as if it's as if it's not separate to our survival but you know it's it's so connected it's evolved i would say like in in the maturity of writing about it it's less yeah. direct perhaps and when it is direct though it's like right in your face but when it's not so it can be done in, in a bit more of a, a i don't want to say a riddle but finding ways to, to to speak about it for instance one of our songs rather than just be a you know your cliche love story is actually a love story with the earth and like yeah. the falling out between men and and so the two voices are speaking to each other and We've also written a song in the perspective of of water speaking back to man. How'd you come up with that? Um, how'd I come up with that? How did we come up with that? Yeah, how did you guys come uh, up with that? It's just it's just exploring different ways to 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 write and to tell stories, you know. And it's often said that there's two types of songs when you boil it down. It's either power struggle, conflict, like being one. Yeah, you know, some something happening there, or it's a love story. Yeah. Most songs, you boil it down, it's going to be one of those two things. And everyone can relate to it because that is life. Like well, everything in life is like love and connection when we, when it comes down to it. I, I love when you think about it. My mate said this to me once. He goes, what do you do that you don't do out of love? And he said like, no matter how twisted you think it might be, like what do you do for yourself? And he said it like this. He goes, you wake up in the morning and take a shit because you love yourself. You know what I mean? Like anything that you do <laughs> in life. You've got some is, interesting friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Rio. Do you know Rio? No. Nah. Wait, uh, which Rio? Um, the guy that does the I do lemonade do, stall. No. Yes. Yeah, I know Rio. Yeah, yeah of course. Because Com- he comes on the podcast with conversations in the light and elder. But we did this no one. Way. I don't think I've put it out yet. But it's just about like, um, like yeah, he talks about in it with whatever you do in life. What anyone ever, what anyone's doing in life, they're doing it out of love, whether they know it or not, out of their own, from what they know, with the with the best tools that they have in that scenario at, at the time. You know what I mean? Like it's like. People, even if they're self-sabotaging, how do I explain this? Even if they're self-sabotaging, they think they're doing what they need in that moment. You know what I mean? So he's like, he was more saying like, when you can have that perspective, you're able to take a step back and love because, you know, they're always coming from love, whether if it's like, it seems like that or not, because they're just trying to figure it out. It's uh, just, he, more gives mean. you that as a tool to be able to step back. 
But um, okay, we're getting, we're getting off. Well, topics. yeah. I mean, I don't. I, I would. The definition of that it all comes from love. Like I can see, you're talking about the selflessness. Uh, being sorry, selfish is coming from a place of like self-preservation, love yeah. for oneself. At the same time, I mean, yeah, love is infinite. Like you know, yeah. But there is a well, the shadow is when it steps into fear. And we're doing things out of fear. You yeah, get, out get, of fear by which yeah. in, in turn, and that is like, you know, that is the developer that is like, we need to tear down this rainforest, you mm. know, put the, you know. Yeah, when we come into this, but when we come into this world, we're not coming into it from a place of like fear and shadow. We come in these pure like beings of love, so to speak. And then yeah. anything that, you know, whether we evolve in such a way towards, I'm thinking of, way bigger here thinking about like you know the villain of yeah like the avengers or something uh you know thanos like yeah totally being in a place of like dominance and fear like you know that whatever that's like the ultimate shot like uh how do i say it? archetype of like of someone evil, operating yeah. of in out of fear yeah but back when he was an innocent little baby born it's coming from that place of love and trauma yeah yeah that's where the fear goes to the trauma yeah. and stuff but when we come in we're so like so like open and, and vulnerable. I mean, look at little Jojo, the little, uh, little kangaroo, kangaroo behind, behind me hanging. Like he's totally in a place of love right now. Although he might have had a bit of trauma, whatever happened to mom. Um, you know, he's just coming in this little innocent, beautiful yeah. bundle. And that's this thing. And like right now as this baby kangaroo's parent, like I just said to your mom, I'm like, it's, it's just like, it's such a weird feeling that because I've never had it before being a parent that this little dude needs me like he won't survive without me you know what i mean and it, and it changes me it teaches me it humbles me it, it gives me a different level of understanding it gives me a different level of love you know what i mean by having this like little dude that's just so dependent on me mm. yeah it's a very humbling thing but hey just behind you you've got an in hearts wake tour up here that's just completely sold out right like um the poster of it what's it like being in a band going on tour and like just having sold out shows and playing in front of like like huge fan like audiences. What is that what's the biggest audience you've played in front of? Um, biggest crowd. Probably like eleven or twelve thousand. That's is that like, scary. Well, you start to get over like five hundred, to be honest with you, and it just becomes it's just a lot of people. So like there's no the twelve thousand compared to the five hundred, like it doesn't feel that different because you're still conjuring that energy from a big place and you're still like just going, you're still out there up, up on this stage, people watching you. Yeah. Um, is it scary? No, I, it's kind of like this. It does, it feels like rising to a battle that you want to fight. If that's, if that, yeah. by battle doesn't mean it's coming in a place of fear, but it's this rising up conjuring of energy and you're preparing to do like yeah, battle on stage. Yeah, you're going to put a show on, yeah. yeah. You got to go perform, you know, like yeah. it's like, yeah, and I use the word battle because it's conjuring that energy that's like almost um, from an animal instinct place where like it doesn't matter how hey, sick you are, tired you are, where you're emotionally at, like you you call upon that energy to rise above all that because it's about the fans and it's yeah. about that experience. So you like call on this this thing and it just like, it comes. I can't explain it other than to say it's like a primal part. It's a primal energy. It's yeah. a part of part of it's in all of us but i call upon that out of myself and like you almost can have these beautiful blissful moments where you you do lose track of time and you're just in it yeah you're just in that moment when you kind of like said that it's like for me to relate to that it's always in the barrel surfing yeah it's like where time stands still and you're just in this moment of time that's just like so you're just so in the now 
And like, when I, like I, I'm trying to picture, I've always wondered this about musicians and I've always wondered like what that energy would feel like because you've got all the energy of all the people and that energy is directed at you. And then your energy is directed at them. You know what I mean? It's like their, how their energy is is a direct result of your energy. You know what I mean? You're up there performing and they're reacting to it and they're building their energy and then you're feeding back off that energy. Like I just... I. Oh, I just I want to experience that one day. Yeah, basically like two mirrors facing each other, and there's a whole lot of light bouncing back and forth. Yeah, but sometimes that mirror isn't as strong on either side, like it can be. For instance, let's say it's a a small crowd because you're in a small venue, and like maybe it's a Wednesday night and it's cold, and you know they're not partying. Like you know, there's yeah. there's always these benefactors, but you can't rely on that mirror when that happens. You've got to like show up, and that's when. Uh, that's when it really like matters. Like I say, calling upon that energy because then if you feed more, it actually can get more back. Yeah. That's where it's cool. You can play with it. So in those moments, you just go for it no matter what. I suppose because, yeah, you, you're there to put on a show. Yeah. Yeah. Can't judge an audience. You've got to like just go 110% no matter, no matter. If you're truly committed to your art, you can't rely on something um, to, to give you that. This is kind of putting you on the spot here. But what's the most magic magical moment you've had on stage? Is there anything that like just pops out? Magical moment. I reckon it's fam- when family members are in the crowd, like big, you know, like a whether it be my dad um, got to crowd. So I got my dad up on stage at that one of the sold out Sydney shows at the Enmore, and I got my dad like, up on stage and we went crowd surfing together, and like it was pretty like you know he, wow. he's an older dude, you know, like. He was game for it, but like I was still like, oh, I don't want him to get dropped, you know. Yeah. And he was sweet, but we got on these like big inflatable things, and like I think I was on a shark and he was on a stingray. I can't remember. And the crowd just kept us up, and we like went fist bumped out in the crowd. It was pretty epic. Were you singing at the same time? I took the mic, yeah, but I only had a couple of little words I had to drop in. So those moments, and also just seeing your, like my mum when she comes along to the shows and she's up on the balcony. She's usually going harder than anyone else, to be fair. But yeah. like it's pretty special. The people that know know you like truly know you at your worst and best yeah and can see you and you can meet on that level in that space with all these other people um yeah. it's like you know the crowds are there but it, there's a oneness but they also dissolve and they're just there with your family members yeah and you're there with all that heightened yeah. energy so i'd say oh. family members and including oh playing here's a memory playing in wellington new zealand where my, my dad's family comes from being able to take our music finally to that city and have my 94 year old granddad come out to the show and he was like at the sound desk you know with these these, like he doesn't listen to metal but he appreciates music and Beatlemania he interviewed John Lennon back in the day another story but he appreciates and gets music and he's out there at the sound desk and I remember crowd surfed out in the crowd you know they were like let's go to granddad so I went out there and again we like fist bumped and just what he had. The, he's raising the. He's like walking cane up, going yeah, like getting so into it. It's pumped. Wow! And it's those memories where you can share that with family. That's really stick with me. How amazing is that that you could create that for your grandpa as well? Like that energy, you could put him in a spot to have that energy. You know, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's 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 amazing, and it, owe it to the momentum of of. Uh, our fan base too yeah. that are able to generate that energy in order to take us over there and have it like be this again this, this mirror thing you're speaking about going back and forth back and forth that like can 
can can carry a weight and an energy that can be uh, transferred to other countries. Have you ever been dropped when you jumped out on <laughs> crowd sur- oh, surfing? Because I was just picturing like you're saying you've got to get into that zone and just nothing else matters. Oh, and yeah, like when you're in sure. that zone, you know, you don't feel pain, you don't feel anything, you just go for it. Oh, and I just pictured you just going into this crowd and then like falling, landing on your head and just getting up and the show goes on. Yeah, I've, I've caught... I've, been, I've been smoked a couple, like I think once comes to memory, Philadelphia. It was that cold Wednesday night kind of a vibe. So no one's really drinking. The crowd was like still okay. Like it was like a long skinnyish kind of a room. Um, and I jumped on this boat, this inflatable raft that we took everywhere around the world. It had been like to 200 plus shows and we kept patching it up whenever uh, you get a hole in it. And so this thing was beaten. Like, you know, you get in it and it was like a... <laughs> It was folding in on itself. So it wasn't the most stable vehicle or watercraft, I should say. And so I'm out of the crowd. <laughs> watercraft. Yeah, I'm, yeah, going, yeah. I'm going like, I think, you know, because it can spin around sometimes, yeah. you know, and I got the mic and I was was yelling along. I started going backwards, which happens. But because I'm going backwards and my legs are like in the thing and my, I got my arms up, the weight sort of shifted and I went like, you know, as I went, the weight shifted backwards. There just was no hand there to hold the back of the underneath of the raft. So I just went like ass over, like full capsize. And I just remember rather than like, you know, staying at a right angle, keep my head up, I just went tucked into a ball. It's natural instinct. And I just copped the concrete floor on my back. It was it was like a you know, the wind just yeah. one of those moments. And it's still it's it's about it's gotta be, you know, six, seven, eight foot once people yeah. with their hands up, you imagine it's kinda of tall. So decent fall. I hang, I hung onto the mic and remember being winded and had you know bruises all up the spine, but like that's about as. Did bad. they just pick? Did the crowd pick yeah, you up? Yeah, just launch you back up. But I'm like out of breath and like you know seeing stars, um, so no concussions. But like that's probably it sucks. Did you lose any lines? Um, it was in between. Like it's like you got you got like a couple of words, then it's like a riff, riff, couple of words, you know. Yeah. So I still got in. I think I might have come back for the next words. I can't even remember. But it was that was definitely a realization of hang on, this is, I'm not invincible. <laughs> this can go bad. Yeah. Do you, what was it like, you know, so being a normal kid, you know what I mean? Like you grew up in, in the Northern Rivers, just with your mates and everything, to suddenly like being on the world, like on a world tour, like on stage in front of people, like did, did it ever go to your head? Because um, like you're, I know you, like, and and you're a really humble guy, but it's just like no. you, you know, like, was there ever a stage where it did start? Like, you know, did it happen too quick in a way? No, it didn't. None of it happened quick. It's a very slow brick by brick process, starting at playing at fourteen, thirteen to like, to being on that stage you're speaking of. It wasn't till like we were twenty two, twenty one, twenty two when we played our first international show. And even then, it wasn't like in front of thousands, you know, smaller, smallish rooms, still yeah. an incredible experience. But then I think the peak of that is probably that that, that playing to 12,000 um, supporting Slipknot at like the Entertainment Center in Brisbane. And at the same time, like that was like a whoa kind of a moment, but it wasn't an overnight success. That's like, you know, yeah. 12, 13 years later from playing music. Yeah. So there's there's no time for it to go to our heads because we're just like, Focusing on the next little like challenge or next little bit of growth, I think. Yeah. Where you don't realize it's happening till you're in it. And by the time you're in it, you can enter that timeless place of like, whoa, crowd, it's all happening. And then it's over and you're like riding that high and then it goes away and it's like, okay, what, well, what's the next step that we need to take? Yeah. And we're not like, 
it's not mainstream stuff where we're getting, you know, we're not in Gucci ads getting, you know, yeah. sponsorships and having people throw themselves at us outside of event. Like it's not like that. It's very, uh, very humble, slow building world. So yeah. I don't know what that's like to have it go to your head. Yeah. But I think that could happen when there's that dramatic rise. Like all of a sudden you're in a Pepsi commercial at halftime on the NFL. Like yeah. who knows? I suppose that's I suppose that's something good about the genre too, because it's like um it takes a it isn't like broad broad spectrum. It isn't for everyone. You know what I mean? It takes like um you know, it's 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 a it's a subculture. It's a subculture that I th- but I th- I know that like I shouldn't say a hundred percent, but anyone who comes that has been skeptical before that I've brought along because I'm mates with and they don't listen to it, they end up loving it once yeah. they're there. Like seeing it live in the flesh. Yeah, and the energy. So it's a subculture, but it's something it's something primal that I think we tap into and it could like we're seeing it slip into the mainstream, the um the angst and the new metal, like even Billie Eilish and stuff, we're seeing like these kind of looks and like the way it's being expressed to Lady Gaga and yeah. starting to see like that 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 world um at least crossover. At least aesthetically coming in to, to the mainstream because there's a place for it. Yeah, and the world, with all the heavy shit that's going on in the world, there's a place now more than ever for heavy music. Yeah, right. And you've got an album that's just come out or coming out. Oh, it came out last year in the middle of the pandemic. Um, so it's like eight months ago, and it was called it's called Kali Yuga, which is the fourth age, uh, an age foretold by the Hindu ancients, said to be full of discord, destruction, disease, oppression fear uh these really like um humanity splintered shadow elements to the human psyche right and this was foretold like thousands and thousands of years ago that this fourth age would come about and it goes in a cycle imagine it like the seasons so kali yuga would be about the winter before it comes back around and uh so it's not like you it's not like the next century which just ticks over It, it moves around in a cyclical way and um we were writing this album Elementally, it was about fire. All our albums are about an element. So we're in the fourth element. Fire was happening. And we had wildfires in America where I was living. And um, no- nothing had happened here in Australia yet, you know. But it was like it was happening and it was around. So we wrote this album called Kali Yuga about this age. And then it, you get the bushfires breaking out in Australia. And you get a all of a sudden, you know, coronavirus breaks out. And we've got this record that's about fire and disease, destruction, all of those things that I spoke about. And we're in, you know, the film clip and everything within gas masks. Um, it was like this wow, prophetic kind of... a bit too... You're a bit like, bit on the nose. And we're like, hang yeah. on a second, like, is, is this appropriate? And then we're like, hang on, we did this before all of the... Before all this stuff broke out, it was um, like, it's pertinent to the time we have to release this album and not delay it. So it came out like in the middle of all of this stuff. And it, you know, the lead single is called Worldwide Suicide which was wow. like a rallying against the system saying like, what are we doing? Like, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to burn down the Amazon or destroy the Great Bay Reef or put in another, you know, offshore oil, like, you know, plant, is that, isn't that a form of like ecocide? Essentially like we're shooting ourselves in the foot. It's a form of suicide because yeah. we need the planet. So it was this statement and uh, it turned out to be more prophetic than we could have, could have imagined. Wow. And like, it's just kind of uncanny that like, say, yeah, you're going through the, through the elements and then you get to fire and it just like all lines up. hundred. Yeah. It was a little bit scary. Um, well, a lot, very scary because like, we don't want this stuff to happen. Like, you know, it's not, 
Do you ever feel, um, because you do have such a platform to be able to, to spread knowledge, to be able to spread awareness, do you feel in a way now that's like, it's like, this is also like your path, like your duty in a way, it's like something like that you can help with, you know, like, it's like, you're doing your part Yeah. in um, a way, like, I don't, you know, like, it's like, I think we talked about earlier when we're having a coffee about like, you know, being a doer rather than, you know, like someone taking control. Yeah. You know, like seeing what's wrong, like being the change you want to see in the world. There's a difference between duty and responsibility. I think duty feels like a weight yeah. that we're carrying. Like it's like, get down and give me 10. Oh, I've got this duty to like serve and blah, blah. Yeah. But then there's responsibility, which is our ability to respond. And like great quote yeah. from Spider-Man, um, you know, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, And by power, I mean, yes, the platform or whatever it is that you've manifested, be it the podcast or be it being on a stage. And that responsibility isn't, well, if it's a duty, then it can it can slip into shadow and in fear, like I'm carrying this thing I've got to do. Yeah. But if it's more in that, like, wow, like this is an opportunity yeah. um, and this is a responsibility that I want to rise up to, then I can really like, it's really empowered. Like there's a, yeah, I got this. Yeah, you have the ability to respond. Yeah, but I have to also keep that in check personally to know that like you can't just constantly be like um, power, burning those engines um, for use of a better word uh, you know taking action at the cost of burning out because then what good am I yeah. or any of us we've got to be mindful and that's where the stepping back into nature versus being on the road all the time is so important to cooling those things down and being yeah. in balance and also keeping your own connection to nature that's right yeah because it's like the the thing that we're fighting for if we're not living that ourselves then we almost losing touch with yeah. the thing that's igniting the, the you know the the passion and the inspiration for it all. And that responsibility is like you know it's it's a joy. It should be a joy and a pleasure. Like you looking after Jojo, it's not a duty. Like you yeah. you, you get so you receive so much out of that too. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is a two way street. It's like yeah. right, yeah. To have this, yeah, exactly. It, it was pretty funny. Um, my mate that I was you know shared Jojo with, and he's gone up north, and because I was having this knee operation, and he said to me, he goes. Jojo needs you just as much as you need him right now. And mm. I was just like, I was thinking about it. I was like, yeah, like, you know, for my recovery stage to just lay in a bed and like, you know, watch these survival um, videos that we were talking about, you know, that I love watching and you love watching and just sit there with like this baby in your arms. It's just like, you know, having that connection to an animal. Mm. It's just been like, yeah, it just means a lot. Yeah. It's a cho- and it's your, it's a choice yeah. that you're making and, that's a beautiful thing. It's it's no doubt they say like pets one of the while they're such incredible companions and things to have for people whether they you know it's dementia and other older age or just a kid who's just forming what relationships and, and responsibility means. Why it's so amazing is because um, other than the connection, which of course is incredible, the companionship it actually keeps us present because you're looking at Jojo being like. What's Jojo's needs right now? Where's Jojo at? Oh, look at Jojo fall over. There's Jojo. You know, yeah. you're so present, like being in that barrel. Yeah. And that presence is like, is everything. Well, it's the now, hey, and like that's what's real. You know what I mean? And I, I always find my life, my life, my life is a, is a balance, it, it is a battle with balance. And I always think like, um, I always find it's two steps forward, one step back because like I get these tools that help me like, um, respond to life and be in the now and like be happy and like love within the now, right? And, I, and I've created my life like around that. And then suddenly you'd be doing that and then suddenly you just start falling out and suddenly I just fall out of balance. 
And for me, one thing I always have to do is just come back to nature, come back to, to get back in the now. And it's just like, um, it's just happened recently because I just did this job. I went up north, I was down the outback and everything was like, go, go, go. And it was like really fun. But now next thing, my soul is like feeling it needs, it needs to get back to that now. You know, and I always, I always think like, what's the best version of me? When, when in life have I been in the most amazing, like the best spot of my life? And it's always when I am in the now. And I, I had this thing, like I had this realization one day, and I think I might've talked about it on a podcast before, but it was like, I realized one day I was like, if I'm going down a roller coaster, if I'm on a roller coaster, right, I'm having so much fun that nothing else in life matters except for that moment right then. So it's like, whoa, just create my life, that roller coaster. Like, as in, like, create my, like, allow my life to just be so much fun that, like, if old mate cuts me off over there or that guy does something I don't like or this person does something, it doesn't matter because right now in the moment that I'm having, it's just so much fun. It doesn't, you know? And so, like, that's what I, like, try and strive to, if you kind of get what I mean. It's just like, yeah. Okay, do, 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 do. We share. Oh, I love it. That's what I love about podcasts because you can just start going on yeah. rants. Yeah, I know. And I can think of so many, just so much to say to what you just said. Yeah. Well, don't don't ever hold back because well, one thing I've found about the podcast is that the rants is what makes it. Like everyone well, loves it. Well, I would just say about the roller coaster, just to be mindful of that. Um, not that you're looking for like advice, or whatever. But I I I can relate. Yeah. Like relate to that, and also realize that like the roller coaster can't exist without the time off the roller coaster yeah because if you're always on the roller coaster like your stomach's always in your head and then all of a sudden you're bored of the roller coaster and it's not fun and then it's not enough and then you need to find that you know what's better than the roller coaster yeah so it's like it's having the roller coaster to me is that that fire energy you know that big action and like joy and adrenaline and like which is an incredible like you feel really alive in that space yeah but that can't exist without the water like you can't and the water's where especially don't want to generalize, but I will say us men, us males, um, can can often have more of a challenge with the water because we're so used to being in that, I guess you don't want to call it masculinity, but in that like testosterone kind of place of like doing and like yeah, building go, go, and like go, yeah, yeah. physical sort of yeah. stuff. Whereas we don't have as much water in our bodies mm. as, you know, if you look at the genetics, um, as, as a female body has much more water, much more in alignment with the moon. Think of yeah. the tides that rise and go down. Think of like a woman being on a cycle. So us as men, the more we can step into that, uh, that flow and that thing to bring, to cool the fire, then we can call upon a fire even more. Yeah. And so I'm, I know that that's the dance I'm playing with trying to bring in more water because yeah. the fire can come quite naturally to me. It's like learning patience. It's something like my, my knee rehab right now. It's, yeah. it's, it's, and I, it's something that like, um, is making me so self-aware Yeah. because of like the lack of patience that I have, like laying in a bed and putting your leg up and your, your body or the energy that you have within you is just like wanting to climb a mountain. I feel you. You know what I mean? For me, it's just like, oh, but it's like, to yeah, I, yeah, well, I feel I can have a good balance because I can sit in a hammock all day. Well, but the thing good. is, I can get out of balance quite quick. You know yeah. what I mean? But it doesn't have to be a step backwards the way mm. you framed it. Instead, it can just be a standing still. Yeah. Like a pause rather than a backwards. It's also the way we like look at it and, and frame it. Because awareness is where like the first step coming back to presence is that awareness. Oh, wow. Like I'm out or, or, or I'm in the barrel and this is incredible. Like it's having that awareness around that to be back into the presence, into the now. 
and writing the dance between the two. Like you can't have one without the other too. You yeah. can't just be totally like in a hammock forever. You're going to have yeah. to like put up the hammock and like feed yourself and get some, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't just party. Yeah, you can't yeah. just party. You know, it's got to be, it's it's a flow state between the two. Yeah. And you see it too. Like I know, I know friends that um just party. Yeah. But, you know, they don't. And then they're, they're missing out on like so much in of other stuff in life because they don't have the time to put into like sacrifice i suppose to get there you know what i mean i yeah it's like i always say it like this make your bed first and then you can just party you know <laughs> what i mean like tick all your boxes it's like yeah. you have a, a to-do list yeah, nice. it's like I, I i think like if i tick them all yeah. and i have nothing to do yeah i can just let myself go yeah but if there's stuff i want to do in life i need to get it done yeah so then I can enjoy that party kind of thing. Yeah, and I mean yeah. that like with like, you know, I'm going to go on this trip soon, but there's a few things I want to do. Mm. I can't go on a trip if I don't get this stuff done. Like yeah. I really want to do this so then I can just let go and enjoy the trip. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost not just a treat, but it's just being able to like, yeah, yeah, allow that stuff to, yeah, it's a, it's a feeling of productivity. Yeah. And also earning that to, so you can just be in the joy and not be distracted by thinking I should have done. Yeah. I could have done. Yeah, and I want to do this survival trip, which I want you to come. <laughs> I want you to come. This is okay. So when I look at you, and I, I started off with this, right? You know, like you've got this love for survival. You know, you you've got this love for being out in nature. But looking at you as a lead singer of a band, it's like, where did this come from? Like, what was your journey that led you to being someone who like teaches um, fire courses right now? You know what I mean? To your journey from from being the lead singer of a band, I don't know where your journey started, but like right now you have Earthwalker camps where you're teaching hand, how do you say it? Like hand-built fire. Like hand, hand hand drill fire. It's, hand it's, drill. it's fire by friction. So that can be done in a number of ways. There's so many, there's there's multitude of, of techniques, but essentially no matches or lighters or, you know, fossil fuels or crutches that you have to get from the supermarket. It's materials from the land to create fire um, as a means to thrive. So hand drill was the, is a technique that's commonly used by the First Nations here in Australia as well as around the world. And the hand drill is just an incredible technique because it uses minimal materials and it requires a fineness of technique. And I've seen like, it's not about, it's not about force. It's not about brute strength. It's about technique. And so I've seen like a, you know, a seven-year-old woman bang out a coal over the dude who's just come back from Iraq you know, and he's like built like a, you know, yeah. a, a truck and he can't get it. And ready to go. Yeah. So like it's it's about the grace and the technique to uh, create energy. You're creating energy to birth a coal and having that deep relationship with fire, seeing uh, an elemental like birthing of something, which is a product of energy, you know, which is a result of, materials from the land which are created from water sun earth and air then turn into fire is just this like divine experience that i will go down for me my first like coal and first you know it's 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 almost like um you know you ask people what are their top 10 experiences in life it could be time they jumped out of a plane could be losing their virginity it could be like the first time they had psychedelics like you know it could be just those those things that stay with you and or some people say, you know, the the death of their, you know, parent or friend or being there at that moment or the birth of their child. For me, like creating fire for the first time goes into my top ten experiences. Is it it's funny like when you just said before, like when you, I was thinking about fire the other day and I was watching it and I was like thinking about, okay, earth, water, you know, like oh the, these elements, right? Then you look at fire 
and fire just has its own it's just so they all are unique but fire just is fire you know what i mean it's like the you know there's been stories based around fire throughout time you know like hell is fire like the the how do i describe this the power and the fury and the beauty that everything is like seems to be within fire and everything has to come together for fire to work. You need all the other elements. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like such a unique, powerful thing. And like, I, I don't know how spiritual we want to get, but it's like, for me, it's like fire. Like it's just like, we all get it. We all get it when we sit there in front of a fire. Like we have this connection to it, you know, like it feeds the soul. Caveman TV. Caveman TV. Yeah. yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, it's oh, this I, connection. I totally. So I was like, I can kind well, of get, but yeah. We could do a whole podcast on fire. But I will say that, yeah, fire is very ancestral. When you're looking into a fire and you sit there long enough, you realize you're looking into the same flames that our ancestors were looking into. Like, you know, you can't say that for a TV show. No. You're right. And in looking into that fire, you start to realize, like, where does fire show up in our lives? We're talking about heating, warming, cooking, lighting at night so we can do more work or work on our shelter all the food that we that we like procure and yeah. and cook like you know heating so we can survive a winter it goes into a multitude of things that you know we now kind of take car so we can drive yeah take into take for granted to just have like electricity but that's a spark in itself you know so you go back way back when and it's it's such a ancestral thing that has been like almost in well like a smartphone in a sense that like it has it really was a huge huge leap in our evolution just like the wheel, if not greater than the wheel, you know? Yeah. So fires, just like having that reverence for fire. Having that respect for it. Exactly. Because with fire has the capacity and the power to burn an entire forest or to caretake a forest and actually preserve it. And it's this like relationship there that I think mankind uh, as a civilization generalizing here, but where we've lost a little bit of that respect and we're out of balance with fire. And that's what we're seeing. You know, we're, we're essentially playing with fire in a, in a, in a multitude yeah. of ways at the moment. And so once we step back into that alignment and right relationship with fire, we are reclaiming a part of, of who we are and working with the elements rather than against them. Wow. Fuck, I love how you speak about things. It's just, you know what I mean? Like, cause it makes you really think, it brings that connection to it. All right, all right, I want to, I want to, I want to get into your journey of like how this all started, you know, I, I, and you've, you've brushed upon it once when we're up, up on the top of Kunyan range and, and watching you and helping you, you know, hand light a fire, like your, your journey to, um, to this point. But it's like, um, where did it start for Jake Taylor? I, look, my, my parents, my parents split when I was about like seven or eight, I think seven or seven. And my dad went to like, basically on an, an island. Let's call that an island because there's no cars. It was connected, but it was an island. You can only get there by boat. And my mom, that was down in the Sydney area, northern northern beaches, Mackerel Beach, Pitwater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's where he I went. I know that island. Yeah. So it's near Lion Island. Like you could yeah. see Lion Island. Anyway, and my mother, she moved up here to Northern Rivers. So I was always straddling these two worlds, like, you know, like weekends or school holidays, like going back and forth. And as an only child, like no brothers, this is to play off, for instance, I found myself constantly evolving and adapting to my environments, like constantly shifting at that age, especially like not being off it, but just being like, okay, like what do I need to be comfortable to like thrive to like where are my friends that I haven't seen in like a month? I need to see if they're still here, you know, this constant... 
So this, anyway, I had to have a big imagination as well because a lot of time you're just playing by yourself, like yeah. you know, kicking a soccer ball against the wall. And I'd run wild down there. Like I'd come home covered in ticks, you know, just like, I mean, whether I was like, you know, whether I was fishing, I was on a boat or I was you know, climbing the, the, the backside of a mountain in caves to being up here running in creeks and stuff. So I had this blessed life with nature. It was this huge element, but learning how to like play on that wild edge yeah. between these two worlds was always my thing. And that carried on through the, you know, through band. Cause I think, you know, you find yourself in these cities that we spoke about earlier. It's like, okay, it's 11 a.m. I'm in like, you know, uh, Budapest, Hungary, and I'm not playing till like eight o'clock at night. Sure, like I want to check out the museums and whatever, but like that shit gets old after day, waking up in a new city. Yeah. So I'm looking at like maps. Where is the patch of green? Where's the forest? Like, because I want to throw a frisbee or I just want to get out and see yeah. some trees because I've been in concrete world, you know? So getting to those patches of green, you start playing, you start going, oh, this is like, I feel so good. I can play the show. I feel energized by it coming back to the show. So I get home, back to this world. How do I integrate quickly without spending, you know, two weeks of adjusting? Get me out in the ocean. Get me camping straight away because it's like the quickest, fast track. That's exactly what I do. If I ever go back to construction, yep. I go, go, go camping or go yeah. on an island and do something straight away, straight raw to nature. And you almost need it tattooed on yourself to remind yourself because mm. it doesn't, it doesn't, it instinctively doesn't feel like the thing that you should be doing to put your body through more like, you know, stress or yeah, packing. It's like, oh, I've got to get back to life. Yeah, I, should, yeah. I should just like chill and rest and like all that. But doing it in a gentle way and reminding myself, no, this is actually what will bring you energy back and get you back. So anyway, doing more and more of that play, that dance between the two, I start to go hiking. I start to camp. I start to be like, okay, how can I um, deepen this experience? Like I want, I want more. I'm hungry for my appetites, you know, rich and like give give it to me help yeah. me out here and so natural progression going from a hiker or a camper i think is you start to ask deeper questions about the natural world with the means to protect it to fall back in love with it yeah as a as a, as a species as a race too like to fall back in love with the earth is, is how we start to protect our mother and through that journey it led me towards what you know known is survival skills and that's that's the that's the the juicy stuff that really um now I look into a forest and I'm not just saying, Oh, there's a bunch of trees and I could walk through them. It's like, okay, there's you know, there's camphor, there's there's flooded gum, there's sandpaper fig, there's casarina, there's some coastal hibiscus. Like I can make fire, I can make cordage with, with that, I can work with that plant to, you know, get food. And it starts to open up what is no longer a supermarket, but it's this aisle of all the incredible like offerings, Endless possibilities, possibilities, well. all the meals you could create. And it really like, it's just, it's a playground. It, it's a playground that unlocks. And um, rather than using those things, it's working with them, like having this caretaker mentality to not just like, you know, rack the aisle of all the toilet paper, but just like take, take, take one roll or one, one 12 pack. Cause you know that you need to leave more for, for tomorrow or the yeah. next day or the other people that are going to come through. And that has just led me down this spiraling, you know, wonderful spiral that it's endless, these skills that can be learned. And um, it, it makes me feel alive. And I've been learning a lot of these skills uh, started me learning in America because I'm a dual citizen. My mother hails from that part of the world. And it led me to my love for, you know, the First Nations people of America um, as a kid being fascinated with the way they live. Being having the privilege to go onto reservations when I was like 10 years old and 9, 10 years old 
in New Mexico and seeing how they lived and the Pueblos and like just this kind of like, it just made so much sense and it felt so good. Like it, when I check in, it just felt yeah. like this. It feels real. It feels like it feels real and it feels like there's harmony and seeing their relationship with the animals and the natural world, be it through like um, animal medicine, like totem, uh, working with their energies as like a, uh, a way to live. Like for instance, the coyote, you know, is, is, embodies a trickster um which can be like this energy that can be worked with yeah you know or a fox is about camouflage yeah so they just had this it's just and as a kid animals and like um you you know you're just fascinated with zoos and dinosaurs and like you know just like learning about all these creatures which are like living uh myths and so i think that was part of this evolution to go deeper and deeper into this world which then you know led me to want to want to know more as an adult which helped with my ability to like feel really at home in those worlds and then with the survival skills coming in you start to see that all those animal medicines are part of like the natural way of living so how'd you take that step to actually start learning that stuff how'd i take that step you know what i mean like to start learning survival skills i think I i think like at least for me you know it was my dream to part of a dream would be to like live with first nations community or have like be taught by an elder like you know this like we have this fascination i think a lot of us do with like a a sensei or a mm. you know a master like a, guru. a guru like whatever you know whether it's karate kid yeah you know like just being taught by a master someone that you deeply respect or whether it's you know luke learning from yoda yeah and so when you start to delve deeper into that we start to find our own teachers and for me you know this great quote the, the teacher the teacher arrives and the student is ready, you know? And yeah. so for me, like I was ready at, I'm in my twenties, mid twenties, let's just say like already with this sort of understanding of the natural world, but not knowing the skills and wanting to go deeper. And so uncovering that, I guess I found this story about this, this white man who had been taught everything there was to know about like survival skills scout skills philosophy skills all these incredible teachings from a lipan southern lipan apache man otherwise known as grandfather he called him grandfather and this this man was given a vision that he would teach everything he knew to 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 a, a white coyote and the white coyote was this was this man who was from new jersey oh got the shivers yeah he was from new jersey and the coyote was embodied of a coyote howl at the time that he first laid eyes upon this boy who was like seven years old at the time. And he realized the white coyote isn't just an albino coyote running, you know, in the woods. It's, it's that I'm supposed to teach a white coyote. It's a, it's a, it's a being, it's a man, it's a young boy that I'm supposed to you know, impart my stuff to. And this is back in like the fifties or the sixties, you know, this is, this yeah. is long, I think it's early sixties. And, uh, hearing about that story, I think was like, wow, like, you know, like this, this isn't just in movies. This is, this is real. Like this is a real thing. And that uh, I just went deeper and to find this man. And now this man's like in his seventies, he's an older guy, you know, his name's Tom Brown Jr. And he's really hardcore, like hard. He's, he's more like, um, to put it lightly, it feels like it's an army drill sergeant, which is not what I'm about at all. Like, I don't want to go to boot camp. Like personally, like I'm, a, I love the, I want the flow as well as yeah. the, the, like the challenge. Yeah. And so that's how it represented at first. And I was a bit like skeptical about it, but because my family lives over there in Jersey and stuff, I just, 
a, a tour linked up where I finished a van, the Vans Warp tour, finished a week before a course started. And I was reading, I was reading one of his old books, I think I was, and I'm like, I was like, damn, like this book's good. Like I should, you know, that drill sergeant that I looked up, like I really ought to see if he's still teaching. Like, you know, I remember like writing it off because I just didn't want to be about that. But let me just check again. And I checked again and it was like, wow, there's a course like that's, you know, starting the week after my tour. I'm like, huh, huh. divine timing. The universe. Like, eh? So I'm like, all right, shut the laptop, go pick the book up, start of the next chapter, literally as it opened the page. And mind you, I remember this specifically. It was it was January when I was reading the book, summer holidays, January reading the book, and it was hot, you know, late one night. And the first line as I opened the book was, it was late one January evening when the what? phone rang and I had to answer the call. And I was like, got chills. I'm like, it's January. This is my call. I've got to go. So I just like, <gasps> just got the credit card out and just went boom, like... I'm doing this, no reviews. Like I was looking at this drill sergeant thing. Like it was yeah. just, I just knew I had to go. You follow your intuition. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, when is your intuition ever ever wrong? You know what I mean? Right. The gut feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes we, yeah, it's not, it's right. But yeah, it felt right and I had to do it. Like it wasn't, it just, just knew I had to do it. Yeah. I couldn't question it. And so that led me down this path to, to learn from him. Like, you know, go to a few of his classes and stuff, which was great. An incredible download. Um, but it wasn't every, you know, it wasn't, the entire picture for me it was just like a part of the story and i ended up going back there for like a few years ended up making a video with him actually you know like filming him and working with him like it was pretty epic how it led me to this journey so i made this video i make you know i go on to do an album uh in america it's like that the fire album after yeah. my last experience you know with him making this video and uh pandemic comes down bushfires and back back here in australia i've made this video I put the video online and then I get this, uh, I get an email and the email email is from someone here in Australia who's one of his old students from like I don't know, 2000 and something, you know, early 2000s, basically saying, hey, are you in Byron Bay or LA? I've seen your video and it really speaks to the spirit of that land, which I've never seen anyone, you know, be able to represent before. And I'm like, oh, I'm in Byron. And he goes, well, I'll be in Mullum on Saturday when I meet up. I said, sure, I'm, you know. I live in Bangalore. So I give him my address. This dude rocks up at my door and it's one of his, you know, old students who actually was running uh, a similar school like near here, well, near like four, four hours away. They're, they're constantly moving around different yeah. land and they do their own form of, you know, it's naturalized. It's not, um, it's not as like uh, dirt, how do I say it? Not as hardcore skill-based. It's much yeah. more the philosophy and it's really, it's a beautiful school. And he said, can you come and like, you know, film? do some stuff for us and i was like sure like this is where you know this is where it's i'm just you know just had to say yes yeah the opportunities are coming so you say yes and it's yeah. almost almost like um so i said yes anyway i've been sort of helping out at their school and working with them more and i've been birthing my own stuff now teaching you know under earth walker here in here in the byron shire so it's led me on this journey of learning through like i'm realizing there's all these teachers around me not just here but out there in the world yeah and um this man, Tom Brown, going back to the guy in America who learned from the, you know, Lipe and Apache man named Grandfather. His medicine is, is a tracker. Like, he's incredible at tracking. Like, he can look at a track and just be like, yep, Coyote came down here, cocked his ear left up towards the, uh, like, the, the Portaloo lavatories. Do you, do you know how to see that type of stuff? Well, I don't yet. 
my skill isn't of that level. Yeah. Like that takes mastery of, you know, 10, 20, 30. Like you have to live a lifetime of basically. But let's just say, well, I'll I'll get to that. Um, So he said, yeah, ear cocked right, looked up, saw that someone was, you know, using that, like a door slam from one of the, like the lavatory compost toilets. The, The coyote was hungry, but not thirsty. Scared off by the door closing he turned around and went back into the forest. So I'm like, okay, you know, he could just be joshing around. Like, yeah. you know, we don't know. And Taking he goes, a wild yes. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, and it happened at 3.55 this morning. And I'm like, that's pretty specific, you know. Now his apprentice happens to be one of my really good friends um, and teachers now. So I'm very lucky to be. Anyway, he was there like teaching, you know, as well. And uh, I have it, you know, under, under record. He, he looked at those prints and he was like, well, that all adds up, you know, like it took him a little while to get the picture, but he can see it all there. So like yeah. those that can see it can verify that, you know, yes, the man is extremely talented and uh, has a deep mastery for these skills. And he's worked with the, you know, uh, what do you call it? The C, not CIA, the, what do they call the Navy SEALs? He's worked with yeah. the Navy SEALs, training Navy SEAL trackers. And like he's solved multiple like police cases. He's come in and looked at like thousands of prints covered with dogs and helicopters and, you know, squadrons of people and they still couldn't find the missing person. They bring in the tracker finally. And, you know, within a day out of those thousand prints, he's found the missing girl, you know, like he's just like, his talent is just like next level, but he doesn't flaunt it. He only uses it as part of the medicine to bring people back to the earth that this stuff is real. And that's the fine line between all this is we've got to be really careful that I mean, ego plays a part in our character, the way we storytell, the way we come into the world, but it can't take over and be in a form of flexing, a form of showing off because nature doesn't work like that. So we have to be mindful that our egos don't get caught up in all the mess because then it can get, you know, shadowy. Yeah. When you're you're at the course with this guy, like... Like run us through a day of the course, like because it, it sounds like because you know, from exactly what you just said, it wasn't just him showing you like you know like um, joining the dots of how to track something. It sounded like he was a bit more connected, a bit more spiritual in that sense, a bit more philosophical. So it was like, what would a day with this guy be like? Um, so he doesn't spend a full day. He's older man now. So he comes in for specific like moments. There's other teachers there. Uh, it's for those, there's so many different courses yeah. that he offers and teaches at different times. And these times are changing. So he's doing more kind of, we can't teach right now, really the pandemic, you know, these are yeah. person things will come back. But that particular course with the tracking, that's much more like it's less philosophical and that's skill-based. Yeah. So it's more like, you know, build this, create this bomb. It's much more physical to drop you into those places. There's other courses that you can take with, that are more philosophy based yeah which is it's hard to like yeah without without rolling you know rolling eyes and stuff let's just say imagine you know there's a jedi there's how to use a lightsaber and block strikes but then there's also those skills which require a sensing and a knowing and tapping into those places of ourselves we have to be able to step into the water step into the flow and put in a lot of dirt time to unlock those levels where we can trust our intuition and use it as a, as a, as a guide, as a compass, something that we can just know like mm. without second guessing and to have that 
intermix with skills, such as the tracking or the fire making, they're not actually separate. They're actually the one thing. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I don't know if that answers your question about running through a day, but but it, it, yeah. So what were, you were learning the fire? Oh, well, fire was just an hour just part, of, part of the thing. Like, you know, we do lots of things like... Building tools. Yeah, shelter. Like, this is just one of the many, like, survival costs that are out there in the world. I haven't been to all of them, so I can't speak for all of them. But I know there's this hundred, you know, there's thousands yeah. out there. Um, this one spoke to me because of the... Um, Everything. The, the First Nations, uh, like, embodiment of wanting to keep these skills, um, like, pure and... Um, not like not mixed with this like yeah not it's it's what's the word i'm looking for it's um not mutated into something else mm. like he's trying to get him he's trying to get himself out of the way even though he's very much there and to just be the skills that were taught and mastered that were passed on rather than oh and you can add this and add his own bit of flair so it's very like very focused and very um done in in almost like a I don't want to say shamanic way, yeah, because that's not quite the right word here. But it's there's there's a process, there's a process, yeah. I have the ceremonially um, done in a ceremonial yeah. way. I went to a ceremony with the, um, the Dung Dungadi tribe down at um, my place, and God, just the energy of when they were, okay, so they were singing their songs um, and doing their dances of our area i'm getting the shivers already thinking about it but just the energy that it had and so they had this song about the mountain that's like literally behind you know kind of crescent behind um behind that area of what what it feeds to them like what water the water and the animals that come from that part of the land and what it feeds to them right and they have that that connection that deep connection to it right now my place itself, like when I first got it, it just had this energy and I had to have it. And then I got told it was like, the, it's funny, the bottom of my land is sand and the top's clay. And I got told that it's it's actually, um, it's quite, um, that it's quite special because it's the old Crescent Head Point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right down the bottom of my place. And supposedly it's like, um, it's quite sacred land. Mm. But it's just like the energy that it has when I'm there. It's just, it's just insane. And it's like, I, I respect it so much. And then suddenly like when I'm at this ceremony and I'm watching the local indigenous whose bloodline are there from like generation to generation who like have that deep connection, you know, way deeper than what I could ever dream of or like that you know like i've got this deep connection with my land but they're like when they've got like these ancient songs that sing about the the water coming down from the mountain behind us that feeds them that feeds all their family that feeds the animals around like that 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 whole connection to every little part of the nature not just like where they are it's just like it just opens your mind so much opens your eyes so much and, and you just start seeing so much beauty it's like absolutely amazing there's one of my neighbors Frankie, this guy's a freaking testament. I've got this neighbor. He lives in a shipping container house. He was originally a boilermaker. And he, I don't even know if he's worked for like 20 years. He works for people around, but he literally just lives off the land. But he is the old observer. Frankie just, he doesn't have a phone. He just like, he just like literally lives life, but he like just observes nature. And so like, you know, he's not a professional tracker or anything, but he's just, um, He's that guy that knows exactly what's happening. What he just knows. He knows when the fish are running. He knows where the gutters are down the beach. He knows like when the what animals are moving through. He knows like like where the kangaroo, well, where the koalas are hanging. Like he just, he just, it's just, and he's not out like 
he's not out actively doing it. That's just what he does. You know what I mean? He like just lives in nature. So he just observes it. And it's like, so like whenever I hang out with, with Frankie, he just sees things that I don't see. You know what I mean? I suppose maybe, and I think about it a lot. I was like, is it because I've got other things going on in my life or like, you know, blah, blah. It's like, how do, because once he brings your awareness to it, you're like, oh yeah, I can see that. Mm. But it's just like, and every, you know what I love about Frankie? Every scenario that happens on our land, he knows a way to like have food from it. So like when it was flooding, when we had all the floods, when Jojo um, turned up without a mum. So the floods are happening. Frankie comes down walking through my place with a net and he's like, I'm like, what are you doing, Frankie? He's like, it's flooding. The yabbies are here. He's like, let's go get dinner. And I'm like, what? And he comes down, like there's like a floodway, like um, like wetlands kind of like down the back of my place, behind my place, where water's running through. And he just comes and like, there's a couple of rocks. And he goes, yeah, yeah, watch this. He just puts the net down and just flicks them on the rocks and then pulls it up and there's just all these yabbies in it. Amazing. And we're like, what? And it's just amazing, like watching this guy that just like lives pretty much from the land, but just like seeing him like use every scenario to his advantage, but also use every scenario to have fun to his advantage. We put wetsuits on and we're running around, jumping in dams, like sliding across the grass, like taking bodyboards, sliding down hills and yabbying and like, yeah, yabbying, getting fish, um, getting in canoes and like paddling around like different areas to see. Like, it's just like, yeah. Frankie just teaches me to just take a step back and just watch. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, Frankie. <laughs> yeah, Frankie. He's probably, not only his, his ability to see, you said before he sees what I don't see, you know, he's probably got, there's, there's also, well, I don't know, I can't speak for Frankie, but probably able to listen too. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of this, like it's activation of all the senses when it's in deep connection with, with like using, mm. as you put it, things to your advantage, but like working with what's going on. Yeah. Because, yeah, like smell, hearing, like there's, you know, bird alarms, like the yeah. bird language is massive. It's funny, like down at my place, when I, when I first moved in, you know, I'd have neighbors and that, and they would, you know, like, you know, you'd see a kangaroo and be like, oh, I know that guy, that's this guy, whatever. And oh, I know this, you know, you see some ducks and like, oh, there's those ducks. They just know everything, right? Mm. And then when I, when I was building my house, I slept in a swag out just under the stars. And it got to the point where I was going to sleep with the forest and waking up with the forest and you become part of the forest. And people always trip out because I say like, if I'm away at my place, like I, I, like I've got a composting toilet and I just wee outside it's spreading nitrogen. But the biggest thing about that is I spread my scent. And if I'm away for a while and I come back, all the animals kind of get a bit scarce at my place until my scent's there. And then they know that I'm part of it and then they all come back in. It's like really kind of odd, but like it makes so much sense. It's like, a new smell comes in. They're like, "Oh, what's this guy?" And then after a while, they that smells there, and they're used to, it and they 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 know it's not a threat. So then you become part of it. Yeah, yeah. You it know? takes time. It takes time. So you call that. It's called like a. Imagine when well, it's called, but the way to describe that is there's a baseline. The baseline being, what's, what's normal, like so regular. As soon as you slip into that baseline, you you actually are a disturbance. You disrupt that. Yeah. And it takes a certain amount of time before you actually become part of that baseline, the new baseline. And then the ecosystem around you acknowledges, oh, there's that, you know, animal that's been sleeping there every night or, or come to drink from that, that water stream. That's part of normality. I'm safe. Yeah. I can come into that, you know, and they can also pick up on your energy, your brain waves. Like, are you there to hunt? Are you there to like, 
you know, take down a tree, like, you know, your energy. When I say that, I mean your brain waves, your frequency that you're mm. putting out uh, can totally, it's totally read by the landscape. Yeah. It's like scientifically proven, you know? And yeah. so, so if you're in a state of, I'm just here to sleep, like I'm here in a state of, you know, peace and like, I'm not here to, to use any of these things to my advantage, so to speak, they recognize that that isn't a threat, that isn't a fear and they'll start to come out. And this morning, like I had a, I had a fantail, like, you know, just land like right above, you know, a foot from my head and he's just hanging out because that was me after 20 minutes sitting in a, in a spot by the creek. And normally that doesn't happen, but I've started to slip into their baseline. So they're kind of like, oh, hey, there's that thing that's here every day. Mm. And that's when, you know, with, with yeah. patience, you start to unlock that. Um, Cause they want to go about their business. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, there's animals and stuff everywhere, but just as we move through it generally on our hikes and stuff we see so little of it because we're like this like imagine a boat just coming through like a still lake you just sitting disturbing disturbance and waves for just miles but if you just sit there for long enough the fish will come yeah yeah it's so true it's funny because like on my place i know like where all the animals live like there's like these two goannas that live in one tree there's one that lives in this other one but those the two goannas in the there's this tree that's been hit by lightning and they live up in that epic but they fight sometimes it's so funny it's just like but they but also know their past where they cross and i'll be sitting there and they'll just walk straight past me yeah. you know this huge goanna they know where you live too but what you're saying about that energy before so jojo so my little baby kangaroos you know hanging up behind you so adam is mum as well Mm. Right. So my mate, like my neighbor, Adam, Adam and his wife, Shenny, have just gone to volunteer in Elko Island off Arnhem Land. So they're helping in, in an indigenous community up there. And that in itself is this amazing experience of taking their daughter. They're like five-year-old daughter. And she's just, oh man, she's frothing. He's, he's a hunter. He's lives like, he's just, they're really cool people. But anyway, so Jojo has spent a lot of time with me. He's slept with me heaps, you know, and everything. And, he, and also with Adam, Right. Nothing different out of the ordinary. I'm at Adam's place. Jojo's sitting in my lap. I get in my car, in my lap. Then Adam picks up Jojo and gives him a hug and says goodbye. Like, because he's leaving the next day and says, oh, goodbye. And then I take Jojo back. He's sitting in my arms. I can feel Jojo starts getting a bit stressed. Mm. Then I get up and give Adam a hug. And I'm like, you know, like, um, and then I say my goodbyes to him. And the energy is literally of a goodbye, right? And I get in the car and Jojo just freaks. He's done the same scenario he's done heaps, but without the goodbye. Mm. And Jojo just freaks. He jumps out of his pouch, which he never does. And he just starts shitting everywhere and jumping through my car. Wow. And he's like jumping around, panicking, trying to get out. And I'm like, Jojo, it's all right, man. And like for probably about two hours, he was just freaked. Yeah. And I'm thinking about it and just like, and I had friends staying at mine. And they're like, oh, he's just, he's just not used to you. And I'm like... Jojo's used to be on his mum, like I'm his dad, you know, and Adam's his mum kind of thing, you know what I mean? Mm. Like he's used to it, but he's what he's not used to is a goodbye. Mm. And they're like, oh, no, he wouldn't know that. I was like, they do, they're a baby. They yeah. picked up on that. He picked up on that energy so much. As soon as Adam said like goodbye and like that energy of like, you know, I'm leaving, Jojo just freaked. Mm. And I was just like, wow, you know, just that like yeah, that energy. Up on it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and also it must trigger a survival instinct within Jojo to um, make the new environment or the new energy that's shifting that he feels uncomfortable with like a mm -hmm. know my cage, know my surroundings. When I say cage, I mean the car. Like, yeah. you know, like, where am I? Like, where can I exist in? Do I feel comfortable in here? Like, where's my territory? Like, where the, the shitting is like a part of that territorial thing as well as like a, 
I'm okay in this space. Yeah. And uh, that's like this, yeah, this this instinct that I th- coming back to me as, as a kid going between households, I think I was doing a similar thing where I'm like, yeah. oh, the new energy and like, I know I'm okay, but like the goodbye, like yeah, you, you pick up on that and he, this this survival instinct sort of, it's part of his working through that and sensing that energy is picking up and yeah. then learning how can I actually thrive in this new environment and be okay with it yeah it's funny you said something earlier like when you're talking about um the connection with the natural world and like it's it's funny when you said that it was a similar thing that um glenn casey said the the who started patagonia in australia where yeah. i did a podcast with him which is amazing but it was about like he talked a lot about his connection to the natural world and that's the thing it's like the more i get connected to the natural world it's like the more like these energies are real you know what I mean? Because they are. It's just like the more the the like I was saying. It's like the more I get connected to the natural world, it just as simple as like my scent. The animals know what they are, and like you become part of that. I had this like weird realization of like living on my land because like we're not allowed cats or dogs, mm. and it was like the the path was like, all right, you're not allowed cats or dogs. It's a rule because wildlife. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool, whatever. And then a friend would come down with a dog and be like, oh, yeah, it's all right, whatever. And then there wouldn't be a, any kangaroos at my house for like a week, mm. and I'd be like, oh. Uh, probably shouldn't bring the dog down, you know, when you come because, you know, it's not fair on my neighbors because they live here for the animals. You totally. Know? It's a code that you're yeah, yeah. up to. And, oh, my, you know, my poor neighbors, I've got to respect them. And then, you know, after a bit, do- someone brings a dog down and then all the animals go. By this stage, you know, I've been living there longer, I'm more connected, I'm more mm. part of that nature, part of that environment, you know, and knowing that environment. So it's like, oh, that kangaroo sleeps under that tree. That one there in the afternoon at two o'clock, he loves, there's this wallaby that loves coming under this um, one waddle that I have and he sits real weird. He sits back like he's on a couch and he just sits there and he'll always sit there from like, say like one thirty to 3.30 and he just, that's his spot. He just hangs out in, you know? And then it's like, and so like I was saying, like the two go in and live in that tree and they like to walk from there to this one and then they go and fight with that one. And then, you know what I mean? That's what they do. They're living their life. As soon as that predatory scent comes in, that different scent, they're all freaked. They're all scared out of their homes. And so like this connection with the natural world, like that, like just by being in the natural world, you know what I mean? And is, um, is the realization is like, well, they live here. They're part of it. They don't deserve to be scared or kicked out of their home. You know what I mean? And, and it really relate, relates with what Glenn Casey was saying in that podcast about like, yeah, and like your message with the band or whatever about bringing people back to the natural world, like putting them in the natural world to actually understand their connection to it, to like, you know, like, why are we burning down a rainforest? You know, why are we drilling holes through the and blowing up the reef and like you know what i mean it's just like because we're so disconnected from the natural world because we're we're in these concrete jungles kind of thing and like yeah okay i'm ranting now but it's just like it's so like you know what i mean it's like you know if i can if i can get more people in nature this is kind of what glenn casey was saying you get all you got to do is just inspire people to get out in nature they're going to have that connection themselves you know what i mean because we're an animal how can we not how can we not have that connection to nature you know what I mean? It's like staring in the fire. It's such ancestral. We've always done it. It's like, how can you not have that connection to fire? You know what I mean? And how can you not be taught by it? How can you not be taught by sitting out going camping and sitting out in the middle of the forest by yourself and being surrounded in nature and being so grounded and so fulfilled? How could you not fall in love with that? You know what I mean? You go get to do that yourself and then next thing you're going to go, a bulldozer is going to come through. You're not going to want that to happen. Well, I start to ask myself the question of when did we become separate from it? 
like what was the moment, right? Mm. Which I can't answer right now. But the concrete jungles didn't just happen overnight. Like they were part of of our evolution to yeah. to to survive and and like be safe and you know part of our existence. Like we have to. So yeah. like I'm acknowledging like acknowledging that they've somehow been a part of the way that we've grown as a means to survive. They're all survival instincts. Yeah. You know, and and, and in itself is not a bad thing. No, no. So it's like. I'm starting to like, I'm trying to reframe it in a way. I'm like, well, okay. Like there's this modern world, which I'm starting to, I've noticed myself damn it a lot. Like, you know, like we got to get back and all like, cause it feels very out of balance, but it has a place in today's world for whatever reason we have to acknowledge that it's there. So it's how can we straddle these two worlds in a healthy way? And they're still like, that's the, that's this dance we're playing. Like we're this duality. Maybe we'll always will be a light and a dark, you know, a shadow and a light because you yeah. can't have one without the other. Which is hard because I've got to be okay with that. Even though yeah. I'm like, why the heck are they still drilling? You know, what, what, like, I don't, like, you know, someone said, really good, I can't remember who it was. I'll just say it anyway. But, like, out of all the animals in the ecosystem, you don't, like, you don't see any of the animals um, fouling their nests, damaging their nests, like, like, hurting their chance of survival. Like, that's their, like, their space, their burrow, their home, you know. And yet, we as a species not all of us but some of us are in fact doing that you know we've lost the perspective we're actually damaging and hurting our own nest now that isn't a sense of wickedness or evil so to speak that's just ignorance yeah so it's like how can we have compassion to look at what's happening not as like a point of the finger you like sick cruel evil like i'm trying to we have to look at yeah, that. Yeah, like, because old mate's just like, hey, man, I'm just trying to feed my family. Well, I want to make some money. Which is what's, yeah. For my survival. So that disconnect yeah. is, he's only, that person's only looking as far as their hand yeah. and what's in it rather than what's beyond that and where is that coming from to get to the hand and also acknowledging that that needs to be there for the child, for the, the future generation to receive that. So it's seeing like, hey, how can we have compassion around all of this? How can we actually get to the root of the problem? Um, you know, people let's look at you know america's last you know president was much seen as you know a huge villain and so many ways he was you know to the yeah. what, what his contribution to society right and yet i've had some conversations where people are saying like yeah but he actually he's the only president that uh has achieved the most things that he said he would do it's actually the most successful president be it wicked be it your judgment whatever it is yeah so now i can only look at that situation with um it's hard to be compassionate for someone who was did so many things that I find my personal opinion was so morally wrong. Yeah. But something must have happened to him as a child or to his parents that is kind of continuing that seed of like that splintering that allows it someone to think that it's okay to, to, to take away the beautiful monuments that First Nations people, you know, have rightfully have ownership and custodianship over, take those away from them to turn them into, you know, fracking sites. Or to like, you know, call upon a, a pro a racial protest, you know, to to storm like all these things that are just so not okay in my opinion. Yeah. However, why are these things happening? Why are they still happening? So it's coming back to seeing where is that splintering happened. These a lot of a lot of these things are traumas, things that have gone astray, which we need to kind of like look at ourselves now in the mirror and find this sense of accountability which often happens when you go into nature. Not that we've ever been separate from it, really. Like yeah. even the modern world is nature to a degree because we're creating it. Yeah. But the natural world, let's call it, you know, that without buildings and only at hand of man. So stepping into those environments and coming back into coexistence with those. But in that process, 
as you know, Glenn Casey was saying, you know, get anyone back out there. But what can happen for a lot of people is it's so uncomfortable. It's so hard because the stuff starts to come out of them that they're not okay with. Yeah. Uh, that past trauma, like too much, you know, yeah. too much time in the head where I just got to go distract myself and like sink those beers or like build that skyscraper or, or like, get on reception or, or point yeah. the finger at someone else because it makes me feel okay with mm. that's my survival mechanism. That's how I've learned to yeah. deal yeah. with being in the world. So rather than just throwing them out in nature forcefully, they have to be willing. And that's the, that's part of this falling back in love with, with nature it can't be a forced thing unless, you know, we have no other choice to because that's what we're kind of coming to. We have no other choice but to come back to it for a means for survival. Yeah. But the the candidate, the person, the individual, there has to be a sense of willingness to recognize that there's an integral need there for their children, for, for yeah. their grandchildren, for their future because, like, you know, who wants to inherit a rock? The other hard thing is that, okay, so they've got to be willing to do it right. Now everyone's an individual with an individual personality, so it's going to be a different thing for each of those people to spark That's right. to make them willing. Individualism, as well as it's a incredible thing, like it's, it's created some incredible creations and intuitive, in, ingenuitive things that yeah. are like sh- shaping how we can evolve. It can also have a shadow, you know, to individ- individualism. We used to always be in community. So mm. we need now communities of individuals working together for the different medicines so that we can form this like council and do we have to have new ways of operating it's the only way not denying what we've become but taking the best parts with it and finding yeah. a way to work together yeah that was actually I- interesting in permaculture um ian true the this philosopher that was that was teaching that i learned from I remember he, he, on the whiteboard, he had this one drawing that he kept up the, the whole course and it was like a circle, you know, pretty much up the top. And he said like, you know, so on the circle is the top and bottom. And he said like, okay, so everything is like man's creation and everything's it's pro and everything's it's con. So he's like, so it, it was kind of like for everything that you do, see it's pro and see it's con. So it was like, you know, we created a car. So it's like, wow, this is freaking amazing. You know, everything it, that it can do. So it's like, okay, it's brilliant because we have this technology that we can use. But it's like, how are we going to use that? You know what I mean? So it was like, okay, we're brilliant that we've got to this point of a technology so we can use it to, to do good. But at the same time as we do that, it's going to have an impact. You know what I mean? But it was like everything was like understanding the impact versus the good and to be able to use everything that we've created for the good of the planet, if you know what I mean. Mm. And so like, he, he, it was, it was like how you're saying, like everything that like we've created was brilliant. You know what I mean? It was like by seeing it in a different way, but then it was like, okay, how can we use that? That isn't, you know, that isn't going to have mm. this impact. And, and like with permaculture though, and regenerative farming, like you do a life cycle analysis on something, you introduce something to, to counteract the shadow of the other thing. You have to be mindful that introducing that new thing also creates its own shadow. Yeah. And so in doing that, there's never a destination. It's going to be this continual like journey of working with things, not yeah. using them and working against them. But you have to be, again, willing to, if you're going to introduce something because you've done this life cycle analysis and all of the risk and you know benefits and shadows and blah, 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 you have to know that even that is going to have an impact. So this is this dance we're playing this dance of polarity we're never gonna just get to a thing and be like ah oh, sweet we've solved it tick done let's go to sleep 
it's going to be this is life this is this bittersweet hills and valleys mountains thing coming full circle yeah. it's this dance and and realizing the energies are never stagnant they move you know yeah. and that's what makes that's the beautiful thing about 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 life and about nature in general jojo's not gonna if jojo was always gonna be a tiny little wallaby which is beautiful i mean we'd love it if we could stay that way yeah but that's part of the preciousness of, of enjoying him right now is watching him grow into something that's going to be full-fledged you know i, know. I was like wondering yeah. i like, wonder if he's going to want to fight me one day <laughs> yeah probably yeah. you know what i mean yeah. like he's like because he's like like i showed you that video of him play fighting yeah. with my leg and then falling off and he's like learning how to box a little bit yeah and i was like one day he's going to be my height you know what i mean i'm going to have this mate that's like a full-grown kangaroo AF, afl player yeah it's just yeah. going to be a full-grown kangaroo and i'm like wonder if, wonder if i piss him off he's <laughs> just going or like you know what i mean or his animal instinct kicks in and he wants like you know it's his territory now or something i don't know like it's just yeah. like yeah it's gonna be just pretty funny but i just kind of like that you know what i mean well that'll be its own dance you he's yeah. gonna learn how to throw punches and you're gonna learn how to duck yeah you know and yeah. then and like okay like, yeah because i'll learn how to there's this is kangaroo that lives on my joint and he's a big grumpy bull and he's a bit grumpy, dude, but he's like, he's really cool. He hangs under this, um, this, this orange tree. Darren. Yeah, let's call him Dazza. <laughs> yeah, Darren hangs under this uh, orange tree, right? And he's cool with me, like, working and doing whatever. But if I go near him, he'll start grunting at me. And one day I was building this garden, building my garden, and I had to keep going near him, like, with my wheelbarrow. Every time I went near him, he started grunting. And I, was like, I just turned. I was like, mate what are you doing? I need to like, <laughs> I need to get this shit done. Calm down. And then he stood up. He jumped up from laying down and he stood up and puffed his chest down. I was like, Oh God, here we go. I was like, get out of it. You know? And I just kept walking. And then he bounced over to the neighbor's shed and got on his tail and started kicking the shed. Oh, wow. Like, you know, tantrum. trying to, yeah, he's actually like throwing a tantrum. And I was like, oh. and I yelled at him. I was like, Oi, what are you doing? Get out of it. And he's like, kind of looked at me and stopped. But it was just like, it was just this funny moment. You know what I mean? Where he's just like, he was a grumpy dude. And then I pissed him off, you know, <laughs> he threw a tantrum. I reckon you should have a, like a sub podcast, which is just like you interviewing kangaroos or could be kangaroo tales. Like you get the pun. And yeah. You, yeah. Just, <laughs> you can just have like little like stories of like the different kangaroos and stuff yeah. because you got some rippers you're living in a kangaroo colony basically. yeah i can't wait for jojo to bring home a girlfriend you know what so i mean i'm gonna be so proud oh, like, yeah jojo yeah, first like, date yeah yeah who's your love mate yeah, yeah okay you go off you know go off for the yeah. night make sure you you know check in tomorrow yeah <laughs> what's um i was gonna say what do you call a like what's a group of kangaroos i don't know i think i heard i don't know what do you call them i don't know i was gonna say is it a mob maybe How's people keep asking me things about kangaroos? Like I well, dude, know you, it all. I have no idea. You rattled, you rattled off a bunch, bunch of like you got some serious kangaroo knowledge. Oh, with, I know some stuff now. Yeah, yeah. so you, especially with their microbiome. How much do you do? There you go. When they're babies, this is the thing about baby kangaroos, right? To get them to go to the toilet, you just like okay. When he was a full baby, um, especially when he was real sick, when he like when we got him when he was like gonna die, you get a bit of toilet paper on your hand, just pat him underneath, and he'll just go straight in your like he'll just go to the toilet he still doesn't now i just use a brush now because he'll get like a little because he just like has like hard little droppings but some of them get caught like just under his tail so i just get a brush and like pat him but i do it whenever he's out i'll just like get the brush and just pat him underneath and it makes him go chimney sweeper yeah because the thing is it makes him like wee and do number two is because the thing is their mum creates their microbiome like creates their milk especially for that kangaroo and by them how they do that is they take them out of their pouch and they lick them underneath 
Gotcha. And that provokes them to go to the toilet and then they lick their droppings and then create the milk that they need by like what they're lacking. Ah, that's so So amazing. you know what I mean? So, so like you've been licking? Been licking yeah. with a brush. And, you know what I mean? And then you put in the brush in the But milk. it's pretty funny. It's just like people are like, what are you doing? I'm like just patting him underneath and he starts weighing. I was like, oh, it's how you get him to weigh. And people are like, what? I'm like, yeah, he doesn't like, he'll, he'll like, he will go to the toilet in his pouch, but he won't weigh in it. And ex- except for the other night when he wet my bed. <laughs> when he pissed himself in my bed. You you could add this to your resume. Like, you know, can- kangaroo mum mom, and then like ch- kangaroo chimney sweeper. You can have all the like microbiomologist. How funny. You're man, learning a lot, man. so is- funny. Like, he's, like, so I got home. So I went out to the panic room the other night because I was staying at mum's doing this knee recovery. And friends of mine are like, let's go to um the, the locked room. Like the, um, it's called room. padlock. And it's like these... What do you guys think is going to happen? It's um no no so what yeah it's like every time I say panic room people are like, is this kink, a kinky thing? No, no it's like um I, I wasn't thinking that I was thinking end of the world you're getting ready for that or a robbery. No it's like you you go in it's like um it's literally like challenge rooms like puzzles. Oh, but it's one like of those. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, like yeah, it's like yeah. it's skit. So you, you you get sixty minutes to try get through like you, to to figure out all the puzzles and unlock to get to the next room to Got get it. to the next one. Got it. And it was so much fun actually, and we did we did well, but. So I went out and mum looked after um, Jojo and I got home and she had let him out and everything, but hadn't got him to go, go to the toilet. And I got home and as soon as I got home, you know, his head's out of the pouch trying to get to me, you know, he wants cuddles cause you know, he's separation anxiety. So I get him and, and I wanted to have a shower and stuff first. I was like, oh, I'll just lay down with him for a bit first. So I had him, you know, kind of on me and just laid down on the bed and I was just like letting him, um, yeah, just you know, get real calm because, you know, he likes to be on your stomach and on my chest for the heartbeat and like, you know, my breathing in and out just really calms him because that's what they get when they're in the pouch, right? So he's on me and he just goes straight to sleep, you know, he's snoring on me and he does the loudest farts too, by the way. He like does human loud farts. Kangaroos do human loud farts. Jojo. Yeah. And so anyway, I'm just sitting there and he's just laying on me and I'm just rubbing his stomach, not thinking anything of it. And then next thing, I'm just like feeling this warmth and I'm like, am I wet? And I get up and he's dropped like a liter of piss on my bed. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? So I get up, he's covered in wee, in his pouch, his pouch is wet. It's gone through the doona, through the mattress protector, through all this stuff or whatever. And I'll get it up and I'm like, mom. And it's like 1030 at night or whatever. I'm like, what do I do? And she's like, she looks at me and she's like, this is what being a parent's like. You'll figure it out. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? She's like, and she, uh, you could tell it was like, yeah. now it's your turn, you know? Yeah. And so now at 11 o'clock at night, I'm doing laundry. I'm like washing a mattress and everything. And I'm oh, like, are you wow. kidding me? And she's like, yeah, that's what it's like being a parent. It's and so I was like, good. but I kind of, you know, I didn't mind. Like, it's just like, but I was like tired, ready for bed. And the next thing I had to like shower. And then I had to shower him the next day. And he, he gets in the shower with me. Eh? <laughs> so funny. He'll follow me in there with the water running. Love it. He was climbing and standing under my feet. It was get wet. Shampoo, conditioner. Yeah, I've been using a bit of tea tree on him. Tea tree. Keep yeah. the ticks away. Yeah. Yeah, he likes it, eh? He likes it. Well, I don't know if he likes it. <laughs> I don't know if he likes it. <laughs> now, your, now your mattress has become JoJo's microbiome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God. No, I put wee away on it. Yeah. My mum had like a- Wee away? Uh, yeah, it was like a thing from the pet store. That's wee a thing. away. Wee yeah, away. she had it there for her puppy. Wee away. Wee away. Wee away. So, so Jake, Jake, so so now, okay, we'll get back to it for a second. So now you've got the Earthwalker camp. Yeah. It's teaching fire, fire making skills. Well, it's teaching all kinds of skills. Fire is just the first, first uh, 
entry point. It's been like a bit of a medicine of mine personally. And so it felt right to, to offer that first. But I'd like to, we're going to step into shelter, water, food. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's a multitude of things that can be taught outside of those four, like principles, um, different skills, nature immersion, like this, this, it, it's, it's endless. That being said, I'm not quite feeling like th- these are some of these skills I want to deepen my understanding before I'm, you know, able to offer those to other people. But this is the kind of like, this is, this is the kind of knowledge and uh, way of living. It's a lifestyle. It's it's a wisdom that needs to be passed on that, so that it can have a ripple effect yeah. outwards. And, you know, I just, like, I'm excited to, to see how it grows for other people. I've already had a, already had a couple of fire students, like, hooked on just and sitting like, at home with their fire kits, like, get, trying to get coals, you know, and they're sending me, like, images and I'm t- checking in on them. And, like, it's really cool to send that ripple outwards. And like he said to us, ancient knowledge. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's passing on ancient knowledge. But do do yourself? Are you spending much time like going out hiking and camping yourself in nature to like without much just to practice these skills? Yeah, for sure. As much as I can right now, like whilst I'd love to just check out for a year, I can just go live on the land. Um, I've you know I'm managing the band and I'm existing in this world as well as in that one, mm. and before I answer that question, I'm realizing that it's important. Like I could just run, like run away or just, you know, disappear. And that'd be too easy in a way. Yeah. Because what we need is like is straddling both of these worlds and like bringing the medicines of each. It's really important right now. So I'm, how I'm like living that is just trying to do what, what we call dirt time. We're going away for like a couple nights here and there. Like last week, uh, last week with Tom Brown's apprentice, my, my mate actually stayed here um, last week. And him and I, Tom Brown Jr. is his name. His apprentice is Kyle. And my mate Kyle and I, <laughs> he's that same age as I am. He's Canadian, but he's like living down near Canberra Way with his partner at the moment before they head back to Canada. And um, we just went out, we just hiked up in the, into, I can't say where, but let's just say we went to a remote area yeah. um, that felt felt right. And we, we asked permission and... Um, it was just a really beautiful experience and we like we literally slept in the cave on the side of a mountain i found this cave and just like built this because it was cold so we didn't take any blankets no food we just got knives and water and like you know first aid kit in case because we have the luxury of that yeah um just try to be as minimal as possible you know we don't like it's cool that we can practice survival in a um controlled setting where we can come back to this world and so, like, taking some things with us but not using them as cruxes because then yeah. it defeats the purpose of, like, testing your skills. And so, we did that and it was like, I don't know, not it was cold, three, four degrees at night. Like, it got really cold. And, um, you know, we, like, we probably, by the, t- by the time we got to and found our shelter spot, we had taken quite some time meandering, foraging for food and, like, you know, bush foods and stuff. Yeah. And you just kind of you're asking where's shelter going to be. Like you don't just have a destination. Let's just hightail it there. You've got to be able to move with what the land is calling of you. You know, it could start a point. One point we come under a, you know, tree fern for shelter. Oh, there's some tinder. There's some fine materials. There's a wallet. Like, you know, you just read. By the time we got to our shelter spot and found a spot. That's Jojo. That's Jojo. He's he's grinding his teeth. He's loving the story. Yeah. Um, He's like, oh, grinding my teeth on this story. By the time we got to our shelter spot, we had about an hour of light left and so found an epic cave which saved on a lot of the, sh- the roof building time. We knew that would, could keep us warm because it was low enough. 
but we built a fire just outside of it with a decent reflector wall to magnify heat back in. And reflector walls are a great way to stay warm because they, they multiply the heat by about like 10. So you just use rock? Rock and, rock and wood, a yeah. bit of both. But um, by the time we got that going and I got you know as much firewood as I could, he had a bit of a bunk shoulder at the time. So I was having to do more of the like physical like, you know, hauling let's say and he was much more of the construction kind of things but we made a really good team and uh by the time it was getting dark we had you know we didn't bring any matches or lighters we needed to get fire so both of us having proficient knowledge in fire you can never rely on fire like you have to really call upon deep prayer for fire because as soon as you take it for granted it humbles the crap out of you like it's something you just can't guarantee and so it took us about because he had the bunk shoulder, I was really having to step up, which is a great experience for me. He's much more, he's got like 20 years of dirt time on me. The dude's, you know, been training with the best. Yeah. So it was an opportunity for me to like dive deeper and offer more in that physical sense. Yeah. Because um, he couldn't get up, well, he maybe could have in a survival situation if he was by himself, but he was really struggling with, with the shoulder injury he had. But between the two of us, technique and gathering materials, like it took us like two hours before we got, uh, got a fire. Like it was like, and after not eating all day and like it's building a lot, a, shelter, of, calories a lot of calories, you start getting like, you know, not lightheaded, but you're feeling fatigued. And that's the other thing you don't realize. You bust a coal out, you know, here with a hand drill kit after having a nice lunch and a coffee, but try doing it after you haven't eaten. It's like way harder. Mm-hmm. And you, if you don't get it that first time, every consecutive time after that can become, you know, frustrating, it, 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 tiring. It, well, it just like... m- momentum builds to that. It gets more and more fatigued. Mm-hmm. just like you're never going to run that first lap as fast as you did the first generally yeah so that was a great lesson and finally we got it and the issue was i was busting out these coals but my actual the materials was quite damp from the rain and we couldn't get it dry enough but managed to find a nearby cave where i found all of this pine needles and uh, casarina needles that had blown up in the top and i was able to get those just enough of them to be able to make them catch so about the fifth or sixth coal that we got finally was able to blow into flame and i tell you what there's like that moment of relief because you know a few hours in on the bush you can't just turn around and go you could turn around and get out of there but it's pitch black you've committed to staying there the night you don't have blankets without that fire that's that can literally be life or death just after shelter you know so it's it's super important and that was really a great great experience for us to get fire to recognize the need and to remember like wow cannot just like take you for granted ever wow and so i mean this week i'm gonna gonna go on a go again a couple nights this time um don't know where i'm going yet with who um another teacher friend yeah she, she's a, uh like a woman that um for a kind of, more of a similar skill level she's a good friend of mine and we've got this great like it really helps being in collaboration with people because you can learn off each other and push each other in a competitively constructive way yeah and it's always great going with someone else too because you learn, you can learn more that way. But then the real step, the next step, is obviously just going alone. If you want to go and push yourselves, you know, on a TV show. Yeah, I would love to come on one of these, dude, 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 dude. I want to come. <laughs> I want to come well, on one. Heal that knee up first. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's like what you- there's joy. There's also it's 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 you know, you're peeling back layers, mm. starving yourself of certain things, so it can be. I'm sure you'll be fine. Like you, you did. You're designed to the way you talk and the things you've done. You love pushing your edge mm. and stepping into that place of fear 
because that's where courage is born, you know, yeah. and like it's a beautiful place to, to, well, you've to got to st- Like you said, you've got to step up and do it. You said it took you two hours to get to that fire, but you needed it. You're getting fatigued, but you had to just keep doing yeah. it. Where if you're sitting here, you'd try it a couple of times and be like, oh, go to the, the flame. But you've had to push yourself to a, to a breaking point, you know what I mean? And, ba- and past it to be able to do something that, you know, that is where courage comes, you know? Mm, totally. You learn a lot. Like you can only, you learn so much from taking courses on YouTube and books, but like when it comes down to it, you have to like got to go and, and actually put them into the field because that's what's going to exponentially grow your learning. There's nothing like, yeah, being thrown into an uncomfortable place of like, oh shit, what do I do now? What were you doing for water? Did you take some with you or did you add that to your... For that one, we took water because we knew we'd be going up high, high, high. Yeah. And when you go up high, you're not going to get a spring up that high. So, and you're, you're just adding to what you got to do for the day. Like, well, if you at least got water, yeah. you're like, all right, we've got that. I'll go for food and fire. Yeah. Shelter yeah. You kind can, of can decide what you want to focus on. Mm. And yeah, the focus on that was much more around fire and shelter with food if it turns up. But we actually, where we started, we we're actually at a, at a creek. And so, like, we could fill up there, you know, like that's, let's take, and that's part of it, just filling yeah. up the water there. Um, it's great if you can find a water source, you know, that's, I mean, that plays into the, when you start to look at these survival skills and the order in which you do them and, and how you approach them, having access to water before you build that shelter and fire materials, all, they all kind of, they work together. You've got to be considering those. Mm. Is this a long-term survival spot or is it just for the night? Because yeah. if, if water is going to be four hours away, like what's the point of building a shelter four hours away? You're not going to last long. It's, and you can burn all those calories trying to get to the water unless that's your only choice. It's so fun. I remember scouting one of the Keppel Islands uh, to camp on. And it was just as much fun scouting it just to as camping on it. So I was like, so I just um, went running around, like just scouting and like finding, like um, climbing up, looking out over the reefs to see like, okay, that's the good diving. So this beach would be the best one to camp on that. Okay, that sand dune there looks like it could be good to to camp and it's going to be nice and protected but then where's where's a water source okay over in this beach over here are coconuts but then that's 2k away yeah so it was like all right i need to take enough water for the first like i had to take a container so i could carry carry something so i'm like all right i'll take enough water to get me that would be enough for my hike to get to that beach to then be able to spear but i'm like and then i remember so i'm camping on this one beach and i'm getting fish but my water source is two and a half K away, which is coconuts. And so what I did is I climbed a coconut palm and just dropped the whole, just the whole stack of coconuts that were ready. So I dropped probably like 30 at once. Yeah, 20 to 30 at once and then just um, put palm leaves over them. And so I was like, and so I'd go back and what I'd do with my water bottle, I just had a litre water bottle. I'd hike over, crack, crack a coconut or two, drink them on the spot, then crack a couple more to fill my water bottle up and then carry one back and about halfway back i'd have to crack it and drink it and i was noticing that i was getting protein because of the fish on one side but my my fluids like i couldn't keep up because i was like losing so much having to go get them so it was like once i i got i had this one day where i got a couple of fish and cooked them on the fire i'm like all right my protein levels are up i'm sweet now and so then i packed up camp and went and hiked over and then camped at the coconuts and then after that for food source i had the 
coconut pulp from the older coconuts. Yeah. So I still had that, but I had enough protein. I knew it'd be fine for a couple of days. Mm. But it was just so much fun. That's so much fun. You know what I mean? But just like learning that, I was like, I scouted it all, but I didn't. I didn't pick up on that when I was scouting. I was like, oh yeah, and I'll just go across there to get coconuts. Mm. But then once I was actually doing it, I was like wow i'm burning so much like this moving you know it's two and a half k like there and back it's 5k i've got to go to get water and yeah. i've only got a liter water bottle <laughs> you know yeah, what i mean yeah. like i know what you mean so building shelter closer that might have been if if you could have more of an ideal situation yeah less travel and uh yeah the coconuts are great hey they've got salt in them like there's you can even use the husks really good for fire yeah so there's a multitude of things it's good if you can find like it's important to say that like the more you can get multitude of uses from something before you take its life or you take a fruit or whatever it's always good to think about it holistically and um that's training me to look deeper at, at the plants and the natural world too because like if i take that coconut or i have to take the life of that sapling for that shelter will it be will the will the landscape be better like from me doing that so having mm. this caretaker mentality and that's the step that i think is being lost a lot in these survival things is that like it's just approach is tactical like how can i like get yeah, what i need life. yeah like if i eat the heart of this palm yeah because i need food but exactly. then the palm's gonna die exactly so you know take, what i mean so take the palm that isn't going to make it through the next season or it's being strangled for light or it's competing with others for the light so that you got this caretaker mentality and like this leads into hunting like you know so there's a lot of people like it's a huge dividing polarizing conversation for and against hunting which you can see why you know we're in a mm-hmm. state where agriculture is being taken one way which is you know degrading the planet in many ways and you know the the vegan move is he's huge and it's got a positive there's a positive side and a shadow to it as both have you know there's there's, yeah. there's arguments for and against when it comes to our nature the uh this is, this is a great like um proverb you know it's like the white man goes out with a gun and it finds you know the biggest the biggest king the whether it's the the biggest lion or the biggest stag, the one with the most horns. Like, you know, what's the trophy? What's the big yeah. one, right? Takes that out. Whereas the Indeed. the first the indigenous, the first nation, the way, you know, at least when it's in its um in its power and it's in its rightness, it actually looks for again, what's gonna make the pack the herd stronger. The herd strong, what's gonna make the, the pack strong for the seasons and the future generations, seven generations from now. So rather than taking out the king the one that's got the you know the best seed to procreate and create more strong and like really mm. healthy you know it looks for okay who's got the bad hip that's not going to make it through the winter mm. who's going to be picked off by the wolves like yeah and so whilst it might not be as big it's actually it's actually putting more in the pocket more in the reserves and it's doing it in a mindful way rather than depleting the king taking out the king is then all the you know like what's it? and it makes complete sense when you look at it like that yeah um, I, I remember um there's a, a doco that I watched and they followed this uh, tribe uh in up in northern canada i think in the yukon go and it was like it was like the rite of passage for the son i think the elders took like the the kid for his like and he had to get the the deer or the moose was a deer or moose for the winter yeah it's the first it's the first for the elders you have yeah. to get the first meat for the elders for the winter yeah and so he goes out and i remember um the one that they decided to take i think it was an old bull who had spread his seed but was still big and strong. He wasn't um, procreating. He wasn't procreating anymore, yeah, but yeah. he was keeping the females off. He was keeping all the other uh, males off the females. Yeah, okay. So they were like, all right, like he's already spread his seed. His gene, genes already gone on. He's already had kids and everything, but now he's not He's not procreating anymore. Yep. 
but none of the others can. Yeah. So that was their target. Yeah. So they it's, went and took him down and then- yeah. Almost like he's the the biggest shadow of the tree, overshadowing the sunlight from the others to grow, and yeah. he's going to die in time. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, that's another it. that's a, that's another another way to look at it. But it's having that um, ability, wisdom, and knowledge to really ask those questions before we take a life, yeah. and knowing the holistic approach. You know, you can tell that they really there's a lot of uh, a lot of deep um, contemplation, and like they're not taking the life lightly. They've really <laughs> thought about that. It's really a rite of passage that clearly means a lot. People trip out on this so much, and so I have to be careful how I word it because it's just like it's like. But I've got in in my freezer. There's a wallaby leg in my freezer at home, right? People are like, how how do you? Have? And I was like, oh, because it's meat, right? And they're like, well, how can you eat that when you when you got a baby kangaroo? And I was like, oh, because it was roadkill. And they're like, what you gonna eat roadkill? And I'm like, we always do. So down in my my place, right? If an animal got hit by a car or something. Right, and the poor thing is died. That's fresh meat. You know what I mean? It's just going to sit there. It's like that's literally fresh meat that's going to go go to waste, and the poor thing's life is going to be go go to waste. But it's like it was something that was even hard for me to get my head around. All the neighbors are doing. It. They're like, why would this animal go to waste? You know what I mean? It's got meat. It can feed us. You know this. Poor, you know this poor thing or whatever. And I've seen an animal get hit by a car and then feed families for weeks. Yeah, you know, and it's like it's not actively going out and hunting, but if someone goes out and hunts, they've actively putting something, you know, killing something. So in a way, like if you see it as this car is the arrow, mm. you know, someone's hit a kangaroo, like an unconscious arrow. You know like what I mean? It's bounced, off. yeah, and it's mm. just like oh, this poor thing. And it's like okay, so okay, someone's accidentally done that. Where old mate down the road is going to go out with a bow and arrow and and. Well, we don't eat the roos around our place, but, you know, like shoot a pig, mm. you know, kind of thing to get that meat. And it's just like, but, and that's okay to eat, you know what I mean? Like food like mm. that. But then it, when it's like roadkill, it's like, well, you know, that's like such frowned upon. I, I don't know. But I'm just like, well, look at that disconnection. Yeah. It's just like. It's a hugely polarizing conversation that people are very passionate about. Mm-hmm. And so it's a really hard one to approach. It's so hard because it's just like, I, yeah. I look at it as like, I love all these animals and everything here in nature and I don't want to see anything get wasted. Yeah. And we, and we don't want like unnecessary suffering. I think nah. that's, the, that's the really challenging part um, that can stop out or can be an inhibitor towards the learning, you know, like, like associating the suffering of the animal being hit on the road like with it being killed, you know, like the what you said, taking it to feed a family uh, as opposed to someone just killing the animal. And like that, the act of killing is such a, oh, such a part of our, like it's been a part of our psyche mm. in our evolution and yet we are evolving. So we have to be mindful of how can we evolve in alignment with the earth, with this like act that was once sacred and how do we step back into right relationship with it? Yeah. And that's the kind of question that we're we're asking, not only ourselves, but in, in our communities at our dinner tables. What are we eating? Like, are you vegan? You know, or how where was this meat sourced from? If it is someone who's eating meat, mm. and I'm actually working on a, well, I've been working on a documentary for the last year um, about the band in Hartswag's journey towards sustainability as a metal band, like just approaching ways how we can bring things back to a place of. Uh, not having a, a shit impact on the earth, you know, mm. a little bit better than we found it, right? And when I did ask the conversation of food to like experts that we were interviewing, the like, you know, I kind of expected, like I'll be honest, I kind of expected it to be just a, you know, yeah, just a straight out, don't eat meat, go vegan 
from the race the stuff that mm. I was sort of reading and, and hearing from from my community. And um the huge part that was coming back in the questions was animals shouldn't be in cages. Like agriculture, you know, is very splintered right now, the mm. way that we're getting our meat and the way that it is being farmed. Like for the most part, it's it's not right. It's not actually helping the planet. What we need is the animals out on the landscape like in wild places or being done in a regenerative way. For instance, moving from pasture to pasture to regenerate land over like, you know, uh, a year-long period so they don't come back to that same patch of land for X amount of time so that it actually like promotes a whole ecosystem. Birds come back, water comes back, that mm. that that um, fertilizer, that the droppings there have fertilized the soil and the hooves have actually aerated the soil, right? Yeah. And so we've seen evidence of this like actually like transforming landscapes. So they're out there and part of the experts were saying to me, we probably will we will see like a carbon um a carbon friendly beef at some point. Like we probably will see like a way where it's done and it's sold in a way that benefits the landscape. But for now, like we should be eating less meat, hundred percent, like less like from the supermarkets and everything. Um, focusing on wild meats if we need to eat them. Mm. Well, kangaroo is a byproduct like of our meat industry yeah. because we've clear-felled so much land and created an open landscape, which is the perfect environment for mm. kangaroos to thrive in. So we've given them the perfect environment to thrive in because we've like deforested, yeah, cleared. Yeah, yeah. cleared so the much. Big scrub. And so now what we do is we cull them mm. and kill them mm. so then we can keep farming uh, yeah. animals and, and you're like well and then people donate kangaroo yeah well we've got i know it's, it's well we've got you know we eat about i think it's like 200 or 400 plants we currently eat is on mm. like our menu but there's like 2000 i think plus. no i think in australia uh 4600 so i did that, a, we can, that we can eat yeah i did a yeah. permaculture assignment that was it was the number yeah it was like four i think it's then that was the, my assignment so we roughly it. we roughly eat 10 percent of what we could be eating yeah. basically so we like bringing more plants into our diet is like just a no and it's a no brainer. Like mm. to me, that is a no brainer. The meat, if we do need, if it's our choice to eat meat, we have to eat meat. That's done in that caretaker mentality. How will it leave it mm. better than it was before? Yeah, here's it's interesting. I'm gonna I've gonna introduce you to this guy. Like one of my best mates, Blake, is um one of the leading sustainable experts in Australia. Yeah, and I sailed from him from Tonga, New Zealand, a year and a half ago or whatever, and. We were in Minerva Reef. That's where we got attacked by those sharks. But it was like we're in this like middle of the ocean, this atoll. There's like a thriving ecosystem. I've never seen so much life in anywhere in my life, right? And I put this post up about how amazing it, it was for us to need food and just go over the side of the boat and be able to get some foods, get some protein with an ecosystem that could support that. It could support the life of us four without us taking too much from it. Mm. And a, a friend of mine who who was a vegan blew up about it. And I said to my mate, I was like, oh, fuck, like, you know, like, what's this guy going on about? Like, you know, and my mate broke it down to, to me by energy, you know, energy expenditure. He said, okay, we're in the middle. Our last point of call to, to get long life food products was Tonga, right? So if we need to get long life food products to be able to last, where have they been farmed? And he broke down the energy that goes into all that, the land clearing, the water use, the even the chemicals or whatever, everything, the transportation, the fuel, how many animals die and all those in all that. Or we're on a boat in the middle of the ocean and can just fall off the side and take one life to feed us. And he said like the the balance in energy and he said that's like the that's like what he's trying to like um 
and I, I well, suppose you make like aware that, of that's his that's his measure yeah of, his of me- rightness of uh, yeah yeah that's his measure. everyone and the thing is it's all relative everyone's going to have their mm. different measure so you have to we have to be able to take in everyone's points of view in yeah. an open way and then we can also look at the science yeah to um, be honest because I don't know what's right or wrong yeah. all I know is that for me yeah. is I live down in the bush and I just want to grow my food have my fruit trees yeah. and if a poor animal gets hit by a car and yeah. it's fresh meat and it's going to go to waste I'm like and I'm like well okay that's protein I'll eat it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's not going to go away. You know what I mean? It's just like, that's just me. Like I don't, it's hard for me like now, like to like, and I do I buy meat from a supermarket and you sit there and you, you do that when, you know, if that came my way, it's like, yeah. And it, yeah. When it, as long as there's an awareness, a big awareness around it and we have to, we need to, we actually need to ask ourselves, what is the need of this? Well, if I'm buying this or I'm, you know, consuming it from the road, whatever it is, we need to ask ourselves the why and have an appreciation around the why because that will that will like change the way that we consume it, the reverence for the greatness of receiving that. Yeah. And that is part of opening up that deep relationship and connection with food as a means, not just for survival, but like to thrive, you know? Yeah. And like having these conversations and opening this up and changing the way we look at things will prevent our overeating and our um, unconsciousness well, it's just learning that's the thing it's like yeah at the end of the day man like i don't know and i don't know about this stuff of like what's best or what is to, to preach but what i what i love about like what i'm doing or like what i love about what you're doing right is that you you see something you know you have your connection to nature you have your connection to the natural world and you're doing something about it you're doing it's like taking responsibility for it in, in, in a way like you know like i know i could be doing more but in a, in a way it's like yeah like i'm choosing to live off grid in the middle of the bush because of my connection to nature kind of thing it's just like i still don't know what's right or what's or what other people should be doing but it's just like it's just like i'm on this journey of like learning myself you know what i mean like it's like i don't i think i'm saying this because like i'm trying to say like i don't know what anyone else should be really be doing but i'm just going to say for me some things don't feel right Mm. And so, like, I'm just choosing to, like, yep. try not to do that. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. But I just love people like you that are, like, aligned with, like, my same, like, morals or beliefs and are actually, like, doing something too rather than just sitting there and just pointing the finger and being like, oh, you, well, you shouldn't do that or you shouldn't do this. I'm like, yeah. at least he's trying to do something, yeah, you know? Yeah, we gotta, we got to do our best to, to lead by example or, or at least test it out in the field before we can say this is how it could be done. Yeah, and uh, that's like this huge step towards accountability, which is is lacking. What's we're starting to see it more and more in all businesses being like, "Well, this is how much profits we made, and this is where it went, and this is like what we're doing. This is how many staff we have, and like this is our carbon." You know, we're starting to see more and more accountability yeah, as a trend. It's and, on the and trend. It, well, it's it's on the trend because people are asking for transparency. It's the demand is that the people are shifting, and it's not yeah. like going, "Oh, this is trending. We got to do this." It's going. This is what the people are asking and we want to serve the people. And so really it's like you look at the pyramid, it's not at the top, the business going, we do this and we affect the people. It's the people down the bottom saying, this is what we're buying. This is where our money's going. This is what we want to see. And that is affecting the way the top, you know, yeah. it's not the other way around. And so that is, needs to be in our lifestyle too. Yeah, like how, what's my diet, my shelter? How am I getting fire? What's my footprint? Like you don't have to ask these questions, but we can you know, yeah. that's our and it's choice. Fun. Yeah, and it can be. It can be an experiment to go, wow, like that's where all my energy, like my consumption goes into like all of this travel. Maybe if I 
you know, do it like this. I can minimize that. It's, it's, a, it's this dance of awareness. But the first step is just being aware before you can do anything about it. Yeah. Man, I love it. The world's amazing. Like It's like it's a, my backyard. I just have so much fun with it. You know what I mean? When, as you're saying that, I was just thinking like, you know, like minimizing like the, the thing that I do that's the most maximum is like I drive a troopy. <laughs> like I literally drive a big fuel guzzling thing and I'm like, uh, well, but it's actually planes. If you get if you get on a plane to go to any island, like that's um, like exponentially so much greater than driving the troopy. Yeah. One of the things I learned, like, you know, if we tour on a bus all around the country, it's about the same, like all around America, it's about the same, you know, output as just one getting one flight back home. Yeah, right. So the more you can, not the more, if you have to opt, the more you can drive, the less of a footprint it has than getting on a plane. Plane is like one of the big emitters. Yeah, right. Your your share of being on that seat, charting that flight. But you have to accept, yeah, the plane's going no matter what. But my responsibility and accountability is when I contribute my dollars going towards that, that's my share in that footprint. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I often think about that too. It's like, I, I got this mate. Yeah, a guy that I used to work with in construction and we used to carpool together and he'd throw his garbage out the window every fucking morning and every fucking morning I'd blow up at him. Yeah, it's terrible. Like, don't do it. And, he's like, and he would always say, oh, I'm going to stop doing that. This was years ago. Like, I don't even know what to do now. You know, like, it's just like, and he was an older guy and everything. I just, oh, God, we always argued about it. Like, stop it. And then he'd be like, you know, will you drive a car? I'm like, yeah, I drive a car that puts out emissions. doesn't mean I have to maximize everything that I do. Doesn't mean I have to like because I drive a car going, Oh, I'm making an impact here, so let's maximize my impact and throw all my garbage out the window. Right. Yeah, that's just the defensive way to shift the blame. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. But like that the bigger question is where is the disconnect that he where's the disconnect to see that doing that is actually impacting well, you know. Yeah, next time he's at a nice waterfall yeah. with his family sitting there and then there's garbage there and he doesn't if he get has to enjoy a, If he had a family, does he, do his kids want to be, you know, swimming in an ashtray? Yeah. And then you kind of, well, it's not, it's again, it's not because he's evil or wicked. It's just an ignorance. There's a an ignorance there, disconnect between the connection not being made, which whether it's our responsibility to make him aware of that or not, it's not. It's his responsibility. He's got to want to become aware, but maybe he has to be taken to that waterfall covered in rubbish to realize, oh, there's that, you know, McDonald's drink straw that I threw out. You know, yeah. Sometimes it's that that registers. Yeah. But until that registration is made, you can't we can't can't force or make anyone realize. That's where the accountability. It's about self accountability, and it can take time. Yeah, right. It's scary. You know what? It's just the hardest thing because when I think about that guy doing that, I'm like. For him, his main priority is just trying to feed his family. It's like, like just go to work and make money. It's just like that's so far down his priority list. It's just laziness. Yeah, it? yeah. And I'm just Chucking like, God. Yeah. It's just freaking, yeah. All right, dude, dude. In Heart's Wake, what's next for them? Documentary coming out. It's called Green is a New Black. And that's the, the doc I've been working on for, for about two years now. It's almost there. Really? We're in the final, like couple of months of, of post-production and yeah it's just documenting documenting the learnings and how it could be done um, and the journey that covers a metal band trying to go green through bushfires and a pandemic that kind of took on the story took on a, a you know a narrative of its own um, it's close to the heart and I've, hopefully it's going to be a you know 
a case study that I hope the industry can adopt in different ways once they've sort of sat with it and seen it. Where would it be? Sh- where will it be showcased? That's a great question. Just gonna film festivals first, honestly, yeah. industry stuff before it goes into a public space where anyone can access it. I'm kind of just with all that's happened with the pandemic. I've taken my foot off the uh, <laughs> off the gas. Um, no, it's like. In the creation, we've been creating it like as if it was, you know, anything, as if it was normal, the world, yeah. right? But in terms of looking at the future, but how it can be um, digested and how it can be seen, I've just I've just removed all expectation away from that to see what kind of a world we're going to be in. Can we have people in cinemas watching it? Like when it's ready? I don't know. Do we mm. wait for that moment? Maybe. Do we just put it on phones and, on a, you know, on a platform everyone can see it? Possibly. But I'm open to the ideas of how to show it and I'm open to it growing organically. Like I feel like it's feeling like through the film, film festival route, it will find a, a home and it will find the right way forward to, to, to find the, the audience that needs to see it. I freaking love that. Love that. Are you guys touring any, anytime soon? Go. <laughs> you, you great don't know. great you question. Can't. I mean, I've, we've had like already six festivals, you know, canceled, can, uh, canceled or postponed in the last couple of years. Um, we've got a tour for November, which has already been rescheduled once. May get rescheduled again. I hope not. But we've got like you know, it's eighty percent sold. We've got like, are you getting angry fans or do they understand? No, nah, the fans are so understanding. It's nothing to do with our decision. It's the decisions imposed upon us um, from the restrictions that be. You know, yeah. we have to adhere to those to be mindful of not being a part of, you know, uh, responsible for you know, an outbreak or whatever. Yeah. So. We have to abide by those laws in order to have insurances and, and venues actually host us. We actually got really, really lucky with one of the shows went forward in uh, March in Brisbane and it was like, it was at the Tivoli and because the Tivoli is so yeah. big, I think it's like 1,500 people, They it was at 50% capacity so we were allowed to play two shows back to back, 750 at each show and because Tivoli is so big outside, when you're actually inside, the 750 people looks like a full venue because it's like it's mental and there was no it wasn't seated it was standing up and it was this like divine moment window of time where the show could go could could happen basically and seeing people line up people's faces after not being in a show for two years and it was the first big show for everyone and by big i mean on a stage we can have production and it's not just like you know a little warehouse or a club that's seated and it was crazy like the energy in that room was oh, next yeah. level like the sing-alongs the the, the joy like of oh, this is what it means to be human like i need to move my body and like be in a group of people and literally the next day brisbane went into a three-day lockdown and it was all like every venue was closed well how lucky is it that, that you could give the people that oh, you we know, know what they needed before they locked down oh, again, we were you know? lucky to receive that too like it it, it was enough to recharge us to remind us oh, this is why we do what we do to have this experience in a room with people and without that all you have is like you know the diary entry or the the photo that was taken mm. which is there to remind you but really ah, it's it's a little insight it kind of like it kind of touches on that feeling but it's it's like oh it's like i'd ask you how does it good does it feel to be in a barrel and you know and like yeah it feels good but to actually be in that is a whole nother feeling yeah of presence that you're only reminded of when you get back into that that zone and so it was enough to just fill our tanks and just be like, yeah, yeah. This, is, this is what it's about. So I'm still going for it. It's the same with the podcast. It's like sitting here with you. You know, I, 
you know, like I, I go through moments like where I don't record one for a month, six weeks or two months even. And then next thing I get back, like this week I've got, I get to do three nice. and it's like sitting down with you and like hearing your insights, you know, last, the other night sitting down with that bass jumper and hearing his and everything. And it's just like, suddenly I'm just like, it's that same thing. Like, whoa, this is why I do this. It's, you know what I mean? It's a great way to learn is to just have like communication and conversation with people that, in, people that inspire us. Like this doesn't, doesn't mean just the podcast, but I mean like at the dinner table, at the cafe, heck online if you have to, but like we got to stop just relying on Google and the news. Like we need to have more conversations and be collaborative because this is, this is that way of individualism coming into community yeah. where we start to like share our ideas and then build like this, you know, super way to move forward with our connections and our, what we've learned. It's the best, it's the most exciting and best way to work in collaboration too. Wow. Are you excited for November if you get to go on stage? Oh, Totally. But like I haven't allowed myself to feel that excitement because I've already reduced my expectation of it not possibly taking place given just how uncertain everything is. Oh, mate. Like I said, I'm supposed to get this festival in Darwin in two weeks. I'm just like... You don't know. Do you know, basically. But the the thing that I can rely on is going to that cave or like, you know, sleeping in that shelter. When I say rely on, I mean like just walk out the backyard and just go. Like I don't need it. Don't need... We're lucky enough that lockdown still means within a vicinity and we can have, you know, exercise and fresh air. Yeah. So we're not housebound. Yeah, it's funny. Hey, It's like a privilege. I, it's a deep privilege, I've got to say. But I can rely on it, unlike the shows. Yeah. I can still go out and have that immersion. So just to say, used to be about going wider, like seeing the world, and now it's about going deeper. Like it's really like, where do we live? Where do you live? What are you grateful for? And how can you learn more for, like from it? Yeah. And that's the silver lining that we have to like, step into it this is an opportunity to learn even if you're learning about the four walls that you're in it's like what am i learning something about myself that i hate being in these four walls whatever it is it's an opportunity it's kind of like that with this knee it took me a little bit to see it It took me a a week or so to like really look but it's like well this is this knee is an opportunity to do something different you know what i mean it's like because i was focused on i can't surf or i can't do this and it's like Mm. yeah but what can i do I can do more podcasts. I can work on this. I can go up to the islands in Queensland and go play in nature. You know what I mean? I could go full driving on my trip, like, you know, go to different areas I haven't been, you know? And, and I was just really wary because one of my best mates had a knee op and he just, um, and he couldn't surf and he just really like um, went into a bit of a hole and just got, and just drank a lot and like just, you know, was a bit sorry for himself. Yeah. And I was just thinking like, I just really looked at that and it was a good example for me. I was like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? Like I want to just ha- take nine months having as much fun as I can, not just not being able to surf and like kind of like crying about it, you know? So I'm like, what else can I do? And, you know, now I'm like so excited. I'm like so excited because of like the trip that I'm going to go on and a mm. few of the things I'm going to do. But dude, 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 we've been talking for two hours. It's just been so amazing. Your insights, your band, like everything about you, it's just I've, it's just incredible. From from when I first met you, having someone who's like so passionate, who follows their heart, who follows their dreams, who like expresses themselves through their art, you know, like your band In Hearts Wake. My favorite song is Refuge. I think right now it's it's either my number one on Spotify when you put in In Hearts Wake, or it's like your top one right now. But um, if anyone wants to check out In Hearts Wake, just what's your favorite song? Like the if, you know when you say yeah. when people say oh well I think I think if you're gonna if you're gonna listen to it. And you're prepared to go like really there. Listen to the start of Kali Yuga, the new album, which is going to be a track called Crisis. 
which goes straight right into worldwide, worldwide suicide. That's as full ball and as full tilt as you can get. And like meet it in that energetic intenseness because it, um, it's, it scratches an itch for me right now with what we're going through to just say it how it is. Yeah. And in that piece of music that you'll hear, all of that was written in a day and like it just came out when I was over there in America and there's a sample there of, of Greta Thunberg, address, like when she was addressing like half a million people in New York City that I happened to find myself in New York City at the time that that climate strike was down and I just held up my phone, voice recorder, and she gave this incredible speech, you know, um, that everyone will know the quotable, um, this is an emergency, our house is on fire. And that ends up being the start of the record, which then, you know, a few months later, Australia catches flame. So it's like, it's a powerful... Uh, thing that just happened and was really natural and took flow so check that out and see if it strikes a chord maybe when you're weightlifting running before you're getting pumped up for a surf probably not getting like sucked up probably not just before bed yeah, yeah. just before bed and you yeah. got the candles on actually do that <laughs> yeah just don't hey, burn the house down did, did your voice um does it get sore it doesn't get sore it drops it drops like a semitone it kicks in imagine someone with uh it's hard to imagine, uh, okay when you play guitar and you've never played before you're going to get sore fingers until yeah. you play a bit for every day, then you get calluses and you got a resilience up. Same thing happens with a voice. Cause I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't so much call it calluses, but it builds up this, re- this resistance, resilience and a tolerance. So I've got to ease it in and yeah. then it's sweet. So do you have to practice heaps to, to keep that I've strength got, in your throat I, to keep that there? I don't know. I've actually got it down to, I, it's muscle memory now, but I actually just, as long as I do two to three days of band practice just before our show, that's enough to like ease it in. Yeah. Have you have you lost your voice on tour before? Never actually fully lost it. Only time I've been close to I've actually been close to losing my talking voice, which is funny. Yeah. Because it was like super super cold, and we're in somewhere in Europe, or I think it was Europe, and super cold, and the worst bumpy sleeps you've ever had in your life, like just getting thrown around at night because the roads were that terrible, and it's just a stretch where I was like getting sick, you know. So my talking voice was going, but when I go to scream, it it's kind of like blowing. A, if you blow a recorder or a flute really softly, like it just it just sounds like air, you know. Yeah. But if you go like or like a trumpet, that's a better example. It actually kicks in, and so the same thing happens where I can like scream and be really loud. But the softer, the more gentle things where the vocal cords are just touching, that is what can um, start to to lose that delicateness. So that's happened before, but. I don't like to let that get to that stage. <laughs> well, before we go, we won't do it now into the mic, but I want to hear you do like a roar. <laughs> I want to hear you in your singing voice. <laughs> Just, yeah, Dude, on. I haven't done my three days of prep. Dude, okay, yeah, I can't wait to like witness you in person on stage. Me so, too. You know, like, it's watch, been a while. <laughs> I, I was just, like, just watch footage and, and, you know, like... Go on my Instagram because I'm going to make a video for this for this um, potty. But just go on and check it out. Just go in Hearts Wake, check them out, or Jake Taylor. But dude, 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 thank you so much, man. And let's um, can we please do a trip? When I first met you, I invited you out to the islands. I know. Just do a trip. Just put it. Just put it on your to do list. It can ma- be in years. It no, can be whenever. The answer is yes. Like I know it's meant to be. For those that don't know, like I was on the edge of a cliff. In you know the edge of when I say the edge of a cliff, there was, I hadn't seen any. We hadn't seen any humans for like a good six hours, and night was falling. We're doing a hand drill fire. Me and my one of my best mates, a hand drill fire on the edge of the cliff, and this troopy turns up, and you know out rolls Aaron, <laughs> and uh, 
it was let's just say it was it was it was kind of like this like what this like dude brought this like kind of wild energy you were kind of like you know on this mission yeah. and you sort of just like stumble out like kind of like a hey what's going on and i was like uh <laughs> we're just making a fire and you're like yeah what do you wait with your bare hand I'm like yeah you know no matches like what you're kind of like like no like you know a little bit like yeah i'm like i'm gonna get involved in this next thing you're like <laughs> you want a beer and i'm like sure and then like you know so my friend looks at me like what is this like what's going on here and like so you hand me a beer next thing you know like we're clinking beer uh, having a beer like you know and uh next thing you know all the hands are on this kit and we're like you know night's falling and we're working this thing and we bust out this coal and remember looking at your face just like jaw was dropped just the whole like idea that we could get fire with yeah you know like, and it was all the whole thing was magical but after that and then we got the fire lit we ended up spending the next like I don't know, four or five hours just sitting there. He pulled out a blanket, like we're all just hanging, sharing snacks and stuff. And that's when we got talking of like, oh yeah, you know, Aaron, you're like, oh, I do a podcast and like, oh yeah, work for Wild Earth Australia, this incredible, incredible company. Like do part of work, working with them and I should introduce you and, and we should go on this adventure. And I'm like, yeah, like I was just being like totally, yes, like this feels right. It's in flow. It's in flow. Yeah. Fast forward, you know, I've been introduced to Wild Earth by you and they're incredible people. And um, it's been supporting me on my adventures now. And here we are finally doing the podcast, the long-awaited podcast. And as you recover and I deepen my skills, I feel like that adventure yeah, is yet to come. come and yeah. It's going to come at the right time. And I, who knows what, what will evolve with your development of what you have to offer to the world and vice versa. But yeah. I feel like we can... Be, we already are linking up, but we better link up in other ways. Yeah, you and you just really took me back to that moment of getting that fire going because, like, we all we had to work for it, and like we couldn't get it at first, and it was like in a way it was like I wouldn't say frustrating, but you know it didn't work and go again and go again, yep. and then when it actually came, it was like this team thing where we suddenly got we got fire. Yeah. We got warmth. We got what we wanted. We got, you know, you got this thing. And I was like, this team, like, it was like a bonding experience. It really was. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's a culmination of, of like energy, like a marathon that you're all kind of pitched in for in a yeah. way. Yeah. A triathlon or something. Yeah. Working, working for yeah. something. And, and also the, the idea that like you believe it can happen, but there's also this not doubt, but there's this awareness that it might not happen. Like, but you want to d- dive deeper to make it happen because you believe it can happen. And then yeah. when it actually happens, then you're like, wow. And it's that that feeling because it takes all the times of not getting it to realize how special it is when you do get it. <laughs> I know. And I was sitting there up on a cliff, yeah, by a warm fire. That was yeah. sick. All right, dude, 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 let's get out of here. Yeah. Thanks for your time, man. Pleasure, man. Yeah. I'm, man, I'm so, so stoked we got to do this. Yeah. We got to... Uh... Yeah, get you earth walking out there, man. Yeah, get earth walking. Oh, actually, I wanted to say that you're you've got a few. Um, just before we go, you've got. Do you still have some merchandise with Earth Walker? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I've got Earth Walker. Uh, I've been doing that for the last five, six years. There's um, like hemp shirts and uh, like camp goods. Things I like to take out into into the terrain when I'm not going so primitive, like like knife and forks and like this just little things that I, I wanted this set for so long that I didn't have to carry you know, five pieces of cutlery yeah. around on tour with me. So I developed this thing where they all like fit together with a bottle opener. And just pop in, yeah. yeah. And so those are the things that jam me up when you get functional functional things that you can actually test in the field and deepen your experience. So that's Earthwalker, but... That's a link. Yeah, that's a link on your it's, Instagram. It's less, it's less about the merch now and really more about the skills and the, the deepening that connection further with nature. Yeah. Sick. I oh, do. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Right, see you, dude. Just say.
I hope you guys like this episode. Now, remember, I've got prizes to give away for whoever shares it for me. Go on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe, put it on your social media story, tell your mum. Send me a message, send me a screenshot, or I'm just going to see it on Apple Podcasts anyway, or I'm going to see it on social media, and every week I'm going to pick someone and I'm going to send them an O'Penal Knife or a Diaries of the Wild Ones t-shirt. Enjoy, guys, and thanks for listening. I do it like a double.